0: Hello there and greetings to you. Welcome to Duel of the Takes. Today <laughs> we are going to be tackling a list, a bracket of movies from every guest that has ever appeared on this show. His favorite movie going head to head in a madness bracket. Welcome to Duel of the Takes 100. My name's Nathaniel Martin. I am joined by Alden Mason of Alden Mason News, Joshua Kubis of Star Wars Wrestling LLC, and of course... <laughs> John Sekula.
1: Hello, I'm here also.
0: What do you guys have to say for yourselves? We are a hundred episodes deep into our podcast, and uh, things are looking better than ever. Not for the show, but for our personal lives. It's been a ride. If uh, Duel the Takes was a ride, it's definitely not the E.T. ride, because I was not calm and relaxed throughout it. It
2: It was the Pirates of the Caribbean ride.
0: No, I think it's like Space Mountain. Like the lights are off, like I'm really anxious. I'm going through a
2: lot of hills. Oh, Space Mountain on Halloween. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, where it's just pitch black.
0: <laughs> For me, it's uh, it's been top thrill dragster. It's been one really fast launch to the top and then it just as fast of a downward, downward spiral. <laughs> oh my God. That was a joke. It has been a fun ride though, to even have, even to have a small group of people somehow listen to all 100 of these um thank you if if those people exist i'm sure those people exist but uh well one of them's nate he's forced to oh yeah i have uh listened to every episode of our podcast i think i'm our biggest fan still i'm not quite sure Let's just get into this bracket. We'll save the sentimentality for the end. This is going to be an absolute bloodbath. Our first fight of many to come. Can you share the screen? Of course. Why wasn't I sharing my screen? A hundred episodes in. (laughs) (laughs) Our first fight of many to come is Inside Lewin Davis versus back to the future i'm gonna give this a little basketball analogy right now oh boy back to the future i think is like uh it's like a scotty pippen right he's like it's a classic top scorer nba champion inside lewin davis he's like a he's like a damian lillard i like him a lot but he's no champion back to the Future is a champion
1: having not seen inside lewin davis i i i that analogy was helpful to me thank you
2: uh, so that analogy went completely over my head.
0: Inside Lewin Davis is just the Alden biopic once he brings patches to the city if he learns how to play, like, folk music.
2: <laughs> yeah, I could <can> do that.
0: <laughs> I like both of these movies a lot. I think that, Josh, you're kind of right on the money that, like, Back to the Future is beloved by millions and is, like, a cultural footstone for the 1980s and also, like, 1950s nostalgia all in one movie. I don't think it's very good as a franchise. I don't care much for the sequels, but this first movie is endlessly rewatchable. And Inside and Davis is probably one of my favorite modern musicals, but it's also kind of like slow and depressing and it's folk music and not everyone likes folk music. Um, but I do love the cast. Every time I've watched this movie, I'm hung over with Jory, so I just need to watch this movie in a better mind space. Uh. It has my favorite scene of Akron, Ohio in it. <laughs> um, and it's a great portrayal of 1960s New York. Wait, your favorite scene of Akron, Ohio is in LeBron in the Forever music video? No. That's two basketball analogies in one in one round, folks. Yeah, I think the vote goes for Back to the Future here.
2: Yeah, same. Since the DeLorean is back. Is it electric? Yeah. Yeah, wait, what? <laughs> this is news. <laughs> this is Alden Mason news. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Up next, we've got Whisper of the Heart, a Studio Ghibli movie, versus Blazing Saddles. <laughs> I told you this bracket was unhinged.
2: Uh, I don't even know how to approach
0: this. Oh my god, that Blazing Saddles poster.
1: I mean, if I had to pick one of these I'd rather watch right now, it'd be Blazing Saddles.
0: No, duh. <laughs> Blazing Saddles is one of the best satires of all time, and Whisper of the Heart is like the 12th best Studio Ghibli movie. <laughs> that Blazing Saddles poster gave me flashbacks to Lego chess on the Lego bracket. <laughs> <laughs> we, I love Mel Brooks. We'll be talking about Blazing Saddles more later. Uh, Whisper of the Heart. I'm sorry, Alyssa. I know that your birthday just happened and that this is your favorite movie of all time. Wait, it was Alyssa's birthday? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, you didn't wish her a happy birthday? No. Come on. That was our first guest on the Pixar episode.
1: <laughs> if it was a if it was a better Ghibli movie, I could I could see a conversation happening here.
0: Yeah, well, there's not. And I hate animation. Jory Boston's uh, Inside Lewin Davis was eliminated. Sorry, Jory, but thank you for your 40 episodes on Duel of the Takes. Thank you for your service. Speaking of thanking you for our service, we've got Sorry to Bother You up against the Dark Knight. This is in round one, ladies and gentlemen. This is in round fucking one. This
2: is really unhinged. I'm gonna scream.
0: There's a lot of fundamental morals I think Alden's going through right now in his head.
2: I'm shutting down. (laughs) (laughs)
0: this is tough because i think we have one of the best modern dark comedies going up against what many would say is the best superhero movie of all time i this is tough because i love the dark knight and it's aged extremely well but sorry to bother you i think is going to go down as like one of the biggest cult classics of this era of cinema and it still isn't popular enough. It's still not discussed enough. Yeah. So a callback to a Nate take from early Duel. Nate compared The Dark Knight to kind of the godfather of our trilogy. And I I do agree with that. Not not in the sense of like they're similar movies, but to the sense that this is the movie our generation will never shut up about in a good way. it is. It might be the most important movie of this era of cinema because it's kind of the intro to the oversaturation of superheroes and all that fun stuff that we still love. Right, Alden? Sure. But then Sorry to Bother You, I think, is kind of like the the holy mountain of our generation where it's going to be this cult classic that I think is just going to get more love decades later. Uh, Even in the year of our Lord 2018 when this came out, it might be... (laughs) (laughs) It might be still a little before it's time. Now, when it comes to communism, I just want
1: to make that clear. I'm not saying that. <laughs> the only thing that, like, is really putting me towards uh, The Dark Knight as opposed to Sorry to Bother You, even if you're not a superhero person, like, it's it's just a, a great, like, like I don't even, like, a drama. Like, it's, it's, I don't know, It's it's well-crafted enough that even if you've never heard of Batman, which, if you haven't, then who are you? But, like it still stands on its own as just like a great movie that doesn't even really need Batman to make it good.
0: The comparisons between Michael Mann's Heat and The Dark Knight are pretty fucking spot on. Uh, It it is like just one of the best thrillers, one of the best action movies of the 21st century so far, regardless of it being a superhero movie. I don't think culturally The Dark Knight's leaving, because like Josh said, it is the godfather of this generation of cinema, And like you also just have Heath Ledger in that role as the Joker and I do not think culturally the Joker has left public consciousness since I mean we've had like what three other live action on screen Jokers since then and it seems like Heath Ledger's take is still the most beloved. Every Joker performance since Heath Ledger has had a Heath Ledger influence on it like even including like the TV shows like Gotham and stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's
0: another thing I'm going to say in the favor of the Dark Knight, even though I think I might like sorry to bother you more, is like you look at the behind the scenes in the making of the Dark Knight, and it's technically such an impressive feat, both on a like execution of its action, a lot of practical effects, got semi trucks flipping over, you've got actual buildings blowing up. It, it is in a lot of ways similar to like the Pirates of the Caribbean movies where it's like you couldn't really even make the Dark Knight again today. And I think the Batman, the Batman was great and it has a lot of elements, but like one for one as an action movie and as a thriller, it feels a lot smaller scale. And I appreciate that for Batman, but it's not the Dark Knight. <laughs> What's crazy about the Dark Knight came out at the perfect time because a year later, Avatar came out and then the IMAX 3D boom hit. And then things became more CGI-based, and then eventually we have these Avengers movies where it's just all CGI backgrounds. So it's, like, it's just the perfect, like, in-between two eras. It felt like the end of one, but the beginning of another. But, like, my taste is going 100% with Sorry to Bother You. My favorite, My favorite movies are all satires. My favorite... Um, Like, it has some of the best social commentary and political commentary of, like, any movie since maybe Thank You for Smoking. Like, it is seriously a a razor-sharp, like, dissection of this current stage of late capitalism that we're in, but then also goes off the deep end and is, like, a really funny comedy and farce all the way through. It, It has a serious thing to say, but it doesn't take itself seriously, and I respect that so much. Like, if I were to make a movie, I'd want it to have touches of sorry to bother you i would never want to make a movie like the dark knight
1: <laughs> sorry to bother you takes like that one um that one scene in uh, robocop he's like i'd buy that for a dollar and then just like turns that into the entire like that idea <laughs> that that extreme <laughs> level of like on its nose satire and just makes it the whole movie
0: this is this might be the toughest first round we've ever had i know one, 100 episodes in I think it's time to cast our votes. I'll go first. My vote is sticking with Sorry to Bother You.
2: I'm also saying Sorry to Bother You. I'm going to say
1: Sorry to Bother You because it's the kind of movie that I would like to make were I to make one, despite the fact that, you know, who wouldn't love to make The Dark Knight? If I'm making a movie, I I would want it to have that kind of, like, thought-provoking energy to it. Yeah.
0: I'm just glad I didn't have to make the decision. The Dark Knight has had the most wins in Duel to Takes history
1: though. (laughs) Of course it has.
0: It's got like three wins.
2: It deserves
0: it, just maybe not here. All right, now that we've all exposed ourselves as communists, we've got Arnold Schwarzenegger starring in The Terminator versus Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. Another very, very difficult first round pick. It's not It's not difficult for Alden.
2: No, it's not difficult for me. I have watched one of these movies five times in the last year. Alden hates The
0: Terminator. It's been publicly said.
2: No, 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 no. Well, maybe. <laughs>
0: Alden hates uh, 80s, confirmed.
2: Hold on, I watched T2, like, two weeks ago. That's late
0: 90s. That's mid-90s. Mid-90s was a fine movie. Mid-90s was directed by Jonah Hill. Yeah, so Terminator versus At World's End here. I, I love At World's End for the fact that it feels like a conclusion of a story. Um, I think it has a lot of great, like, arcs within it. I, I really love Elizabeth uh, in, in the movie, and it's... Probably the second best Pirates movie. I was talking about this the other day with some friends, but like the Pirates of the Caribbean trilogy, the first three movies almost just feel like two movies because Curse of the Black Pearl is very self-contained. And then you have like parts two and three that just feel like one really long movie. And I think like as a whole, if you were to merge Dead Man's Chest and At World's End into like one movie, I think it's extremely solid. I think it's as good as Curse of the Black Pearl. But for me, Pirates never gets as strong as it was in its first
2: entry. Hot take, hot take, hot take. I disagree. Alden has studied this film a lot more than the rest of us. That's true. Uh, Curse of the Black Pearl is definitely self-contained, and that's cool if you like that. But also, there are five movies in this franchise, and if you compare all of them to each other, the two best are Dead Man's Chess and At World's End. Even as standalones, their stories are still much stronger than what or rather, I think the dialogue is much stronger than that of Curse the Black Pearl.
0: If we want to get into technical aspects, At World's End is a fantastic modern blockbuster. The score, uh, Hans Zimmer's score in this movie is absolutely insane. It's his best. The camera techniques and the visual effects too. Not only with Davy Jones, but the whole ship being upside down, multiple jacks on screen, All of that kind of stuff is executed so perfectly in this fucking Disney movie, it pisses me off because (laughs) if the same attention to detail was put into things like Marvel or Star Wars, as there are with the first three Pirates of the Caribbean movies... We would be living in a different cinema landscape. I wouldn't be a Disney hater in that in that world. Honestly, even with the two pirate sequels after, have lower quality, but I feel like they care about like their lore and characters a lot more than other franchises. As much as people shit on Stranger Tides, like it still does interesting things with the world that's been set up, and it introduces other elements of myth- mysticism. Like it's still good. It's still very
2: good. It's still a great movie. I honestly, I even like uh, uh, Dead Men Tell No Tale. I love Dead Men Tales.
0: I love Dead Men Toneo Tales, too. Uh, my biggest hot take was it's the second best Pirates movie for quite a while. I think it's the third. The the thing about The Terminator, though, I want to say, though, that might be a hot take. Probably not for some people. I think it's one of the greatest movies ever made. It might be in my top ten favorite movies of all time. I love this movie. I've praised it so much. I think in season two. I know T2's got a lot of fans, but I think the first Terminator, like, it's it's james cameron's second best movie i think it's one of the best movies of the 1980s period mostly because it introduces us to one of the biggest action stars of that decade and the next decade honestly in arnold schwarzenegger i mean sure he was in uh pumping iron and all that shit as like a bodybuilder and playing himself in a documentary but this brought the like the the overly buff action hero to the forefront Um, You know, you had Stallone making movies like Rambo, but this finally was someone competing with him in that. So from a cultural standpoint, Terminator was huge. We also talked about this in the time travel bracket. This movie came out one year before Back to the Future, and I think it might be the first movie uh, of its caliber to introduce a concept like time travel and make it uh, uh, its own. And I still think a lot of rules in the science fiction genre rely on what Terminator does with continuity and what it does with altering previous timelines. But at the end of the day, the movie doesn't focus on any of that. The movie focuses on a very, very simple, this guy is sent to the past to kill this woman, and another guy is sent to protect her and to conceive their child who is going to save humanity. So it's like a relatively simple and confined thriller. And I like that there's elements of this movie that feel more like a horror movie than anything else in the Terminator franchise. You actually believe that this guy is unstoppable. And as much as I love T2 and I think it's a better action movie, I never think for a second that the T-1000 is unstoppable. The sci-fi horror this one brings and that this, this one, the Terminator, just feels like such an unstoppable force. And at t2 that terminator is also an unstoppable force but not from like a visual standpoint as much as arnold is the terminator is so good that i'll watch these dog shit sequels with even that gives me like a little bit familiar familiarity with the first terminator and i think that's why i'm leaning towards it as odd but you know at world's end is very good but you know we keep saying is it the best out of the franchise it is a debate and Terminator, that's also a debate, but I don't think as big of a debate.
1: I, I, I'm glad we got to sing the prices of pirates because there's no way that I'm putting uh, pirates above, ter- above uh, Terminator. It's, it's I'll just kill not you. happening. Yeah, I'm sorry. I can't do it.
0: I'm sorry, Alden. It sounds like three to one. Do you have any other tricks up your sleeve to try to persuade us?
2: Uh, I mean, one of these has sea shanties. The other does not. <laughs> <laughs> That changes everything. Shit. Hold on. Let's run it back. Dead Man's Chest has the best sea shanty, though. Curse of the Black Pearl has the best sea shanty, and that one is just recurring through all five movies, but...
0: Yo-ho, Yo-ho, Pirate's Life for me is just like the fucking, like, uh, it's like the Christmas song of sea shanties.
2: (laughs) (laughs) The opening scene to Outworld's End is, uh, I think it's Hoist the Colors, and it's, that, it's, I don't think there's any kind of song or music that's in Terminator that can compete with just... That.
0: I will say, I look at that poster of At World's End and I get the memories of getting Entertainment Weekly and those pictures first came out of them in the smoke and me being so hyped and seeing the first like pictures of At World's End. But it's also not fair because I wasn't alive during Terminator, so I can't.
2: I have a question, Josh. Hmm? What scene in Terminator compares or competes with. Will and Elizabeth getting married in the middle of battle. Oh,
0: fuck. I will say at World's End does have one of the greatest climaxes in, like, blockbuster history. Every character, like, does something. And I, I just, even Endgame couldn't do that. Endgame had to awkwardly put all the female characters into a group, all of a sudden into a middle of a battle and say she's got help. While Pirates at World's End just naturally has both men and women fighting alongside each other. Had a female pirate king in 2007. To answer your question, Alden, the nightclub scene in Terminator is my favorite scene in that movie. I think it's really fucking badass but mostly it's just because of the 80s aesthetics.
2: See, that's the thing is like we don't have nostalgia for it, but we definitely crave, at least you and I, crave an 80s aesthetic. I love the
0: practicality of the Terminator when you just see it's like a skeleton. I don't know what you would call it.
2: Yeah. Do you? Do you appreciate the practicality of real ships that they're fighting on?
0: Uh, not in this one. I, I appreciate in other ones. Uh-huh. A lot of this is CGI in this one. Very... Very good CGI.
1: The stop-motion, like, animation of the Terminator skeleton really, like, makes it much scarier, because, like, in the later ones it moves really fluidly, and you're like, okay. I like how wonky it is. <laughs> yeah, but it's wonky and, like, a terrifying, like, it It seems heavy. I mean, shit.
0: Alden, you do bring up a good point. The choreography and the layers at play in World's End are kind of epic. We We do see Jack's father, also yeah that whole brethren court meeting is really good and we want to talk about diversity that all those captains terminator's such a straightforward movie and that's why i appreciate it because it has heady concepts and it has a lot going on subtextually but the actual plot is so simple but pirates of the caribbean is the opposite where it has nothing to say (laughs) but has a crazy ass plot and executes it perfectly this is so tough
1: when you put it like that, I, I, I realize why this has been such a long debate. Because <laughs> they are, like, diametrically opposite.
0: I think I have to stick with my instincts and say the Terminator here. I think it's more influential. I wish that at World's End was. Alden's got so
2: pissed when Terminator wins something. If this was T2, I'd allow it, but it's not. <laughs> I don't like the first movie, really. Alrighty,
0: up next we've got the Blues Brothers versus Toy Story. I want to admit something on episode one hundred. I knew it. <laughs> I don't admit to my mistakes often, but I want to go back to an early episode where we ranked Pixar movies. Oh, and you tortured me. Yeah. It was it was the first time we ever used vetoes. I wasn't a a veteran at vetoes like I am now. Looking back on it. I shouldn't have vetoed and set up. I should have vetoed and said Toy Story 3 because Toy Story 1 is far superior and it shouldn't have been number 11. It should have been in the top 10. So for this alone, Blues Brothers, one of the if not greatest comedy of all time. But Toy Story is literally might be the greatest movie ever when it comes to animation. Like not even joking, like probably the most important film when it comes to animation. It was a game changer.
2: Yeah, it made every single Disney animated movie from, uh, I guess, 2009 forward be 3D animation rather than 2D. Toy Story ruined Disney animation.
0: Yeah, but it elevated the golden era of Pixar.
1: And it was going to happen either way. I mean, like, Toy Story was just sort of the, the first one to really get it right.
0: It almost was Jonah VeggieTale story but it got delayed. (laughs) (laughs) There is a timeline where Joe we're talking about Jonah right now. Well, I think one thing that's really great about Toy Story, and we'll probably talk more on this later, but it sets up all of the fundamentals and all the groundwork of what you expect from a Pixar movie in its first entry. And I think that there's other movies, especially within the Toy Story franchise, that do it a little bit better. But feature-length movie produced by Pixar has an element of Toy Story that it's trying to recreate in some capacity or another. Uh, Blues Brothers is great, but it's on here twice, so I'm gonna go with Toy Story.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I love Blues Brothers and I always have, but I don't, I can't.
0: Oh look, a speed round is next. All right, up next we've got the Longest Yard remake starring Adam Sandler (laughs) uh, up against uh, Michael Keaton uh, in Beetlejuice, the Tim Burton movie.
1: I'm sorry, this was somebody's favorite? Longest Yard was somebody's favorite movie.
0: Uh, Christian from uh, the video, the PlayStation exclusives uh, bracket that we did in season one. Uh, his favorite movie of all time is The Longest Yard.
2: Are you kidding me?
0: <laughs> Beetlejuice is Josh Spanier from uh, the Tim Burton rankings. Favorite movie of all time. I just have to mention these names real quick, though. Uh, the Grey Collie, Bill Goldberg, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Kevin Nash. You are you are kings in my book. But uh, that's not enough for me to take down another movie that is probably in my top 10 favorite movies of all time. Beetlejuice is such a good movie that it has Michael Keaton playing a clown, uh, a ghost clown. It has, you've got Alec Baldwin, who's hot in this movie. Like, hello? <laughs> <laughs> like, you also have, you have
1: Winona Ryder. You know, what, you know what other movie has hot Alec Baldwin? If you say cat in the hat, I'll
2: shoot you. That's what I was going to
0: say. <laughs> Yeah, Beetlejuice is a is a one of a kind movie and The Longest Yard is not even in my top 10 favorite Adam Sandler movies.
2: I'm picking one of these based on how many times I've seen them and uh, I've seen one of these once and I've seen the other one at least 20 times, so I'm going to have to say The Longest Yard.
0: Oh my god.
1: <laughs> Come on, Alden. <laughs>
0: what what did you th- where do you think the Great Collie came from when you first watched The Longest Yard? Do you think they just randomly found that guy though? Like what do you think everybody's origin? What did, like cuz in like India, he's Literally like they're Justin Bieber. Like, he is their biggest fucking celebrity.
2: I didn't know that. Yeah. He's super, super famous. So they just went and got him.
0: I think that The Longest Yard, if you read into it, has some really interesting commentary on the like prison complex that our country has.
2: It has a lot of commentary about more than just the prison complex. Like, it's a pretty weird script for an adam sandler movie
0: i just wish it focused on those things a little bit more and instead is just like uh football is the original better i've never seen it the original's not necessarily better but i like it more uh, mostly because the plot of the longest yard does feel a lot like a kind of 70s like pulpy movie and i think burt reynolds in the lead role is like more charismatic than Adam Sandler, but this one feels more like an ensemble comedy and it's like, it's a better sports movie too. So I guess it just depends what you're going for. I mean, I feel like we're going to talk about Beetlejuice more. I just... There's nothing remotely creative enough in Longest Yard compared to Beetlejuice that I could say. The most interesting thing about Longest Yard
1: is that I just learned that it's a remake. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Alrighty, up next we've got How to Train Your Dragon Two versus The Princess Bride.
1: This is where uh, How to Train Your Dragon Hate Hour starts. Um, I will be conducting the session. Hold on, hold on. I literally saw this two days ago. <laughs> <laughs> how do you think Nate? How do you think Nate feels
0: that the guy in How to Train Your Dragon grew a? beard before him <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's the best how to train your dragon but it's it doesn't that's not saying a lot
2: uh i mean wrong but also i don't care enough i'll i'll go on princess bride princess bride is good we can say more about that it's this is Well, we don't have to say
0: anything is the princess bride the one with andre the giant yes
1: oh this is the one landon
0: has Uh, Landon had it, and then also, uh, Julie, uh, Sad Eyes, was going to nominate this movie as well, um, but then I told her that Landon had already picked it, and then she was like, okay, well, I'm gonna pick Donnie Darko, and I was like, well, Gianna already picked that, and then Julie ended up putting a ghost story, which we'll get to next. Base Julie. Andre the Giant, You Are a King. Uh, Rest in peace. I guess I'll weigh in my opinion here. I haven't really heard what you guys said, but The Princess Bride's one of those movies that I wish I watched as a kid uh, because I think I would have a lot more nostalgia for it and I think I would appreciate it a whole lot more. Um, As an adult, I really appreciate the movie for what it is. It's a pretty by-the-numbers fantasy movie, but with a lot of quotable lines and a lot of like quippy kind of moments, uh, a lot of like really funny and iconic scenes, but it never resonated with me, uh, that much. So the first time I saw this movie was the Andre fight scene, like the first scene I ever saw this movie. And I thought Andre was fighting Zorro. And I was very confused about the movie for years to come. How to Train Your Dragon 2, on the other hand, for me is one of those movies that I like, I I think I was like watching some kids or something like I was I was babysitting and I had no intentions of even paying attention to the movie like I was just gonna sit there on my phone while the kids were sedated with a DreamWorks movie and like three quarters of the way through the movie I'm like crying and I'm like I need to call my dad (laughs) it was it was like an emotional experience and I get why people like that movie a lot what it comes down to is how to train your dragon to me has always been an elevated version of the the adaptation like of the books that are it, in its series it, it does a lot more with its characters and its structure but i don't necessarily have an emotional connection to the franchise i just have an emotional connection to scenes within the movies and it's it's really weird cuz like I don't care about the plot. I care about the characters exclusively. And it's not normally something that you get out of a a movie for kids. Cause I feel like a lot of times children's entertainment is all about the story and it's all about the plot. But dude, How to Train Your Dragon 2 has me crying in the club. Not gonna lie.
1: I hate I hate this franchise vehemently. I hate
0: animation. Is it just the character design that ha- that you hate, Sekoula?
1: That's definitely the first thing, like as soon as I saw like the first movie and I saw what each character looks like, I'm like, oh, this is immediately off-putting and upsetting to look at. And then the, the story is really nothing that I, I I don't understand. People love these movies. Like there are people who this is like their whole jam. I don't get it. I, I have no... You don't like Toothless? No. It's a, he's a big cat dragon. Yeah. That's the whole point. Yeah. But like, I don't care. <laughs> I don't know. It has the same, like, cold, callous um, energy to me as, like, when minions came out and you know that, like, the minions are, like, like, oh, these you're, they're going to sell a million of these motherfuckers. You're like, that's, that's toothless. It's like, oh, they made this cute, marketable dragon. Yes, but you are now a minions
0: rise of grew like... Fanatic.
1: well minions minions has come full circle because they they've embraced the fact that it's oh, yeah No, we we did this all for the money now come 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 slap it up Come lap it up piggies come soon consume I think I'm
0: going to cast my vote for the princess bride because I feel like culturally this movie has like uh, impact for generations like this is like gen xers who grew up watching this movie as kids it's one of their all-time favorite movies, but I have millennial and Gen Z friends as well, like multiple, that are like it's hands down my favorite movie, um, and I, I just can't think of another another film quite like that from that era that has aged in a way like that. Like even Back to the Future, um, I just don't know too many people our age that are like, oh, if I'm gonna, if it's a rainy Saturday and I'm like staying inside, I want to watch. Back to the Future, but I know people who watch The Princess Bride on a monthly basis. I was sick, and I was like a school day, so it was like just me and my mom, and she showed me Back to the Future for the first time, and uh, it's a wholesome mother and son memory I have, except the part where. Um, <laughs> never mind. I know what you were. I know what you were thinking of. <laughs> we just laughed over it. Okay, good, good. Alrighty, Princess Bride. Princess Bride. Everyone on board.
1: All right. Okay.
0: Oh, boy, another ultra tough first round. We've got a ghost story up against Blade Runner. Both of these movies are probably in my top ten of all time. They're both uh, slow-paced movies. I think that's the only comparison I got. Some of the best shots, cinematography in both movies as well.
1: One of these movies, like, redefined the visual language for an entire genre. We So, since this is
0: episode 102, we also have to look into the historical standpoint. A Ghost Story was the first winner of, like, not only the A24, I believe, the all-time season one bracket? Or, no, 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 Days of Future Past one season one it was in the finals yeah it went up against days of future past and i screamed at the top of my lungs when it lost but (laughs) we had the bumper at the end of the first 15 episodes of duel of the takes thank you for watching please watch a ghost story yeah i mean i think that this movie is important to the lore of duel of the takes but it's also like for me and it's it's interesting because i've heard a lot of critique on a ghost story that it's like all aesthetic no value it's it's simply an emotional trip And if it works for you, it's a masterpiece. And if it feels kitschy or it feels like a gimmick, then it's just pretentious and boring and slow. But I'm in the camp where I do not know how many movies have emotionally impacted me as much as a ghost story. On the contrary, Blade Runner is probably one of my all-time favorite movie scores. It's probably one of my all-time favorite representations of science fiction ai um and it has so many uh really really iconic scenes whereas a ghost story has like iconic feelings that the scenes have like i it's so tough this is like apples and oranges and I like both of these movies are in my top 10 of all time I'm trying to find some like negatives here because I also think these both are masterpieces the thing with Blade Runner that's not the movie's fault it is very annoying how many cuts there are there's one cut what are you talking about there's three versions which one's your definitive one
1: the director's cut the final cut whichever one doesn't have the fucking voiceover yeah
0: I, I see why Blade Runner is one of those like cult movies that has like elevated it's like... Because it kind of underperformed initially in theaters. Yeah. And then it had a big boom on home release. And then in the 90s, they put it, put out the um, the recut, which got rid of the, the voiceover, which I think inherently fixed the movie. But then they did the final cut as well, which kept more scenes from the original, but also changed kind of the narrative, and the whole is Deckard a replicant or not thing kind of has more of a definitive answer in the final cut. I like that Harrison Ford's at the height of his powers. He's coming off of Indiana Jones and Star Wars, and he's like one of the biggest uh names. Everyone wants to know what he's gonna do next. And he does like this movie, which on paper he's like, oh, he's a hard boiled detective in a like neo-noir who's trying to hunt down and kill robot humans that have gone rogue. But this movie's not an action movie at all. <laughs> Every action scene with him in it, he gets his shit rocked. Like, it's really, really funny to me how he gets by by the skin of his teeth and feels so much like a noir of the 1930s or 40s in every element of it, where it's just a detective going, talking to people uh, and then shit escalates and he has to start shooting. But it has that science fiction glaze and it has those aesthetics that are so strongly cemented to other movies that I love so much, other aesthetics that I appreciate so much. And the score and the cinematography are unmatched for this time period, like simply unmatched. I mean, you also got to talk about Roy Batty. Rutger Hauer is one of my all time favorite movie villains because he is 100% in the right the entire time. And his all, all those moments will be lost like Tears in the Rain monologue makes me cry both of these movies make me cry i saw a really good meme when roy batty said give me more life but it's the tron franchise to disney
2: (laughs) i was really on the side of a ghost story when we first got to here but i've just been contemplating blade runner because i prefer 2049 which i think is a hot take i agree 2049 had more um time to basically like perfect it
1: like i just like it more i don't i don't know how to explain it
2: yeah The opening scene to Blade Runner is insane. They did 11 exposures. Then Harrison Ford's eating noodles. Yeah, Blade Runner invented an entire aesthetic, so. But a ghost story, nothing has
0: emotionally captured me like a ghost story in recent, like,
1: film. Not even Shrek 2. That's not recent. All right. Just then watch it again.
0: A ghost story, like, my eyes were, like, glued to the TV the entire time. And, like, I get Blade Runner's supposed to be slow, but when Harrison Ford is saying, like, zoom in or whatever he does on that TV for the... enhance for the Ford the time I did kind of lose it for a little bit I also think the relationship between Deckard and Rachel while it's like the central crux of the movie cuz she's like the femme fatale if you're doing this as a noir I think it's a little weird cuz he knows she's a replicant and he's like low-key taking advantage of her in a scene, but then it's like, oh no, it's like romantic, and I'm like...
2: No, it makes me uncomfortable.
0: It makes me really uncomfy every rewatch. I wish that it wasn't that way. If if anything should be cut, maybe that. I have to stick with a ghost story here. Kind of what we were saying of, yeah, Blade Runner did invent an aesthetic, but it, it's been mastered b- since. I know a lot of you guys like Blade Runner 2049 more. I'm in the camp that I like the original more, but... A, I, there's not a movie that moves me as much as a ghost story, even if it is kitschy, even if it is trite, even if it is just straight up emotional manipulation, this movie makes me cry more than Pixar movies. And I, I've i never had a watch of a ghost story where I don't have a really great conversation with someone after. I, I bring up the uh, enhanced scene and I feel like the reply to it would be the pie scene, but the pie is about like fucking mourning and there's a lot of deep themes to the pie scene, like not just like... Harrison Ford yelling enhance for twenty minutes
1: I'm gonna stick with Blade Runner, um mostly because like I think a ghost story is a masterpiece. I agree, but I also don't think that uh at least for me, it is like the emotional powerhouse like it, it was my eyes were glued to the screen for sure, I left it feeling changed um. And it I definitely like top ten, top fifteen for me.
0: I don't know. There's no goosebumps I get more is when they put that sheet over uh his body and then the it, it like perks up. Yeah.
1: No, that it, it is really well done.
0: I remember first watching that and be like, oh, okay, it's this kind of movie. Let's go. I like the song in it too. Oh yeah. Great scoring in Blade Runner as well.
2: It looks like it's tied to two. a lot of the stuff you said about Terminator. I think applies to Blade Runner, even if it was a box office flop, because it it's just, I don't know. It's hard to explain without saying something that could also be a praise for a ghost story. I didn't expect this one to be such a tight match when I was first looking over the bracket.
0: And I think it's time. For Blade Runner to move on. We have recommended a ghost story enough, and it still doesn't have a cultural footprint. Blade Runner invented a subgenre. We are the cultural footprint. Alrighty, up next we've got Synecdoche New York versus the social network. One of these is uh, Matt King's favorite movie of all time, and the other one I'm assuming is Kiernan's favorite movie of all time. <laughs> <laughs> It makes a lot of sense but i love the social network i think the social network is also a masterpiece i've said this about like four movies now but um
2: what a score
0: the social network is low-key college propaganda but that's okay because they they don't graduate which is based
2: yeah but they still went to an ivy league
0: i really want to though especially after watching um uh i'm thinking of ending things no, Synecdoche, New York's a, a, a great film, and it's very similar in themes to Charlie Kaufman's other work, especially I'm thinking of ending things. Um, what I really appreciate about Synecdoche, New York uh, is that, that lead performance by Philip Seymour Hoffman. I, I mean, the dude is a fucking powerhouse in this movie and he's always been that kind of actor that like really leans into the dramatic implications of scenes but when working with Charlie Kaufman specifically because so many of his scripts are so there's whole scenes that are metaphorical like they don't actually happen it's like a theoretical thing and it's really hard to follow but that performance grounds you to all of the Kaufmanisms that are in this movie, I think it's probably Charlie Kaufman's best work. Um, it, it's between that and um, uh, being John Malkovich for me. Alden, did your shirt come in? What you should check your mail? I think the social network is kind of like it's it's almost like a peak of sorts of this era of filmmaking where you have one of the best directors of modern era in David Fincher. Uh, a really beloved screenplay writer in Aaron Sorkin, and then an incredible uh, score by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross that is, like, probably one of the most uh, uh, groundbreaking scores in the last 20 years. Like, it's kind of the blueprint for what a lot of movies have as their backing tracks now.
1: Whenever I'm, like, watching, like, a TikTok or something at work and I, I hear the the social network score being used by somebody, I have to like, I immediately either have to pull it up on my, pull the whole movie up and watch it on my phone right then and there, or I have to go home and watch it. I probably watch the social network a lot more than is healthy for the human brain. It's just so satisfying to, I don't know what it is about like weird things about it. Like instead of finding twins for the Winklevosses, they just used the same guy twice and used like a complicated like head replacement for a bunch of shots. Well, what's crazy to me is there's more VFX shots in the social
0: network than there is in the first Avengers movie. And you couldn't tell. You literally would not be able to tell how many scenes have visual effects implemented. It's a technical
1: masterpiece. And it could have been done practically. Like, there's no reason for it to be that way. I don't know. I, I have to pick Social Network just because, A, I haven't seen key New York. Uh, but also, like, that, um, that, like, Kaufman style of filmmaking, while I appreciate it, and I think it's, like, it's, like, uh... It's, the headiness of it always, like, it's, like, it, it exhausts me throughout the movie. <laughs> like, I need to be, like, I need to, like, sit down and be, like, okay, this is what I'm gonna do now. I'm gonna sit here and I'm gonna watch this movie and I'm gonna pay attention. Whereas where it's, like, Social Network, I'm, like, oh, I'm gonna throw this shit on. This is fucking great.
0: Social Network moves on here and we are talking about the Blues Brothers again. We've got... John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd starring in the Blues Brothers up against Mad Max Fury Road.
1: I like the choice to put different posters for the different Blues Brothers.
0: I did the same for Mad Max when there were two of them on here, but then we had an odd number and I got rid of one of the burner Mad Maxes. You should have did the Chrome edition. <laughs>
2: that was that, that's exactly what I did. Oh uh, yeah, the black and chrome.
0: I have a hot take here, but I'm going to let other people sort this one out. Your hot take might agree with mine. I think Mad Max Fury Road is one of the most overrated movies this decade.
2: I'm going to pee in your glove box. Mine is not that hot of a take.
0: <laughs> there's just so many people. That is one of, if not their number one movie of the 2010s. I, I'm i sorry. I think it's a really good movie, but I there's there was a lot of great movies in the 2010s. I think y'all are overlooking.
2: Josh, what are your thoughts on Inception?
0: It came out in 2009? In 2010. Um very good like it a lot i don't think it's i don't think it's in my top 10 of the decade
2: when i think overrated movie from the 2010s it is not mad max it is inception
0: i don't think people have inception as like their greatest movie of the 2010s though
2: then you need to talk to people who watch less movies i i i I don't want to (laughs) (laughs) the amount of praise i was given for inception from its release till when i watched it in like 2019 was insane. And I just I didn't like it. It fell flat. It felt boring. It was not a good story to me.
0: Well, believe it or not, Inception is not on this list. It's no one who's been on our show's favorite movie.
2: That's pretty surprising, to be honest. That's why we talk to them.
0: I mean, it isn't Grace's top five of all time.
2: Grace is no longer my friend.
0: (laughs) Grace has seen that movie an unhealthy amount of times.
2: I've seen Mad Max an unhealthy amount of times. How many times have you seen it in black and chrome? Maybe once. It looks incredible, dude.
0: I think it's a very cool movie, but I don't think it stands the test of time quite like the Blues Brothers. If Mad Max Fury Road really had that much hype in culture, people would be talking about George Miller's next movie. Nobody is fucking talking about this Idris Elba Genie movie that came out this weekend. You did Happy Feet.
2: I don't think it matters what director does it.
0: I I think it does. I mean, Mad Max is George Miller's baby. He's made all four movies.
2: People don't follow George Miller because he's George Miller. They follow Mad Max because it's Mad Max.
0: I don't know about that. A lot of people have seen this movie in particular without seeing any of the others, myself included. I feel like that is a very common trend for Fury Road. Yes, and that's fine. So they're not following it for Mad Max?
2: Nobody's going to just follow George Miller. Like, the best thing he has done is any of the Mad... Or, yeah.
0: We've we've been waiting on this Furiosa spinoff for like 10 years, and by the time it comes out, nobody's
2: gonna give a fuck.
0: Hey, Babe, Pig in the City is a great movie. I like George Miller's other work.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm saying, though. Nobody follows George Miller because he's George Miller. It's not like Nolan or Spielberg.
0: Am I alone? (laughs) I I stand George Miller. Uh, Yeah, I feel like there's George Miller fans. (laughs) Hi, I'm a George Miller fan. Nice to meet you.
2: I don't know, man. Happy Feet 2 was really bad.
0: Sakula, where do you weigh in between Blues Brothers and Mad Max Fury Road?
1: Doesn't the Blues Brothers... Have like is it still hold or didn't it once hold the record for like most destroyed cars
0: yes it still holds the record for most uh, yeah
1: most piled up cars in a chase scene one of these movies is uh, the entire movie is a chase scene and the other one um, is not and the one that is an entire chase scene does not have the record for most cars destroyed
0: <laughs> that was actually one of the greatest points in this show's history one thing I'm going to say about the Blues Brothers is When you think of movies that are based off of SNL bits, there's good ones, there's fun ones, there's ones that it's just like, oh, well, we have the star from SNL in this movie and they're going to do a thing that's similar to something that they would do on the show. But there's not a single one that captures the essence of what, like, Saturday Night Live was supposed to be, of being a variety, being comedy, being a musical, being uh, action to some capacity, and... The Blues Brothers knocks every element out of a variety show in a narrative movie that is extremely easy to follow. Also, they don't make movies like Blues Brothers anymore. Like, I can't think of any action comedy that has as much attention to detail and incredible musical guest performances all the way throughout it. I think that Blues Brothers is like a lightning in a bottle type movie, and I think that Trying to capture that is near impossible. Mad Max Fury Road, hot take, isn't even my favorite Mad Max movie. That would be Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior. Knew it. But Fury Road is a very, very fantastically shot and directed action movie. I think it's got incredible shot composition, very subtle world building. But at the end of the day, like the plot of this movie is just a simple point A to point B, go back to point A movie. Also, Mad Max... Also, Mad Max himself sucks in the movie. He's not the focus point. Yeah, but it's the t- it's the title of the movie, though. I think that Mad Max: Fury Road has like a lot of really like epic moments, and like it's iconic for like the beginning of this chase. I think Furiosa is a pretty good character with like not a lot of dialogue, not a lot of backstory. It's captivating. It's a very very watchable movie. But to me, there's not really any long-term substance to it where it sticks with me beyond the visuals. And Blues Brothers is, like, one of the best comedies of the 1980s, if not the best. And I love the way that they depict Chicago as a setting in this film. They depict it so well, two people we knew moved
2: there. Uh, okay. I just think destroying 104 cars for comedy is a little bit of a... Ecological disaster. It's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm sorry, Alden. What was that? You know how much pollution they destroyed, Alden? (laughs) You can't just destroy a car and claim that it's destroying pollution. That just makes more pollution. (laughs) Uh, This is just like shit on Alden the episode. That's most of these. It's like a classic episode.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Alden, tell me on why Mad Max Fury Road is uh, as
2: important as you think it
1: is. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great way to phrase
2: that. Does it need to be as important as I think it is? because it's a great movie. What,
0: what's the cultural lasting impact of Mad Max at all? Because I, I don't know if there is
1: one.
2: I don't know, dude. I mean, just choreographing crashes like
1: that. I do love that camera work where it's like, like the way you go from like the jumping bike and then it cuts and like your eye is already on the bike and now it's on something else in the same spot and then it follows through. That, that like editing and flow of motion was really, really impressive. Uh, when we when I watched it the first time. I
2: mean, I doubt there was any choreography, really, to crashing 104 cars in Blues Brothers.
0: You'd be surprised.
2: Nothing like flipping a giant truck and having it explode. Batman did it first. Yeah, the Dark Knight did that first. Not to the same scale. But a little cooler. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't say a little cooler because a truck wasn't custom-built for the movie like that. Like, just the modifications on the cars in Mad Max is... Insane. It's like a quarter of the budget. I'm personally always going to side with Blues Brothers because like that it's such a
1: successful like like thing from that comes from SNL. Like it, I I discovered the Blues Brothers as Blues Brothers before I knew that they were an SNL skit when I was a kid. Literally the best
2: thing from Blues Brothers is the Drake and Josh reference.
0: That was the most Zoomer take I've
2: ever heard. Drake and Josh is a millennial thing, but
0: yeah. We'll we'll come to that later. Uh, Blues Brothers is moving on. Yes. All right, we've got Lord of the Rings: Return of the King, aka the third Lord of the Rings movie, up against Toy Story Two. I feel bad for what we did to Alden the past like five rounds. Um, this is a new segment on the show. I like to call "I feel bad for Alden." Alden will pick the winner. We're not voting.
2: Lord of the Rings.
0: A Alden pity hour. Why Return of the King over Toy Story Two, Alden? <laughs> <laughs>
2: First of all, whose favorite movie is Return of the King? Darren. Wild, whatever. I don't have a reason for this. I just knew it would be the unpopular pick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right.
0: <laughs> okay. Up next, we've got No Country for Old Men versus There Will Be Blood. I'm <clears throat> glad I didn't have Alden picked this one.
2: You don't even know which one I would have picked.
0: No idea. <laughs> um, Has everyone seen both of these? No. Yeah. Okay. I remember that scene in class with the uh, the eye thing and There Will Be Blood. Both of these movies are great. I love the Coen brothers. Um, I know we kind of shit on Inside Llewyn Davis and eliminated that in the first round. I think No Country for Old Men's another one of their fantastic movies, um, but I don't think it's one of their masterpieces. I think There Will Be Blood is probably one of the most technically sound movie ma- movies made of the 21st century. It's also got Daniel Day-Lewis in probably his best role. I, I don't think that there are too many movies quite as well made as There Will Be Blood, and it is a very, very, very technically sound movie. No Country for Old Men is a great modern western, but There Will Be Blood is probably one of the best westerns made. Um... I really like uh, that No Country for Old Men's kind of like uh, Tommy Lee Jones' retirement picture, and he does a couple things here and there after. Men in Black 3. Josh Brolin's incredible in it, but... Wait, just like Men in Black 3. A retirement movie for Tommy Lee Jones and Josh Brolin's great in it. (laughs) (laughs) But the central, like, force driving No Country for Old Men is Harvey or Bardem. I think he's great in the movie, but I don't think that Anton is as memorable as a character as Daniel day Lewis's portrayal in There Will Be Blood. I just don't think one for one these movies come down to their villains. There Will Be Blood is the better movie. Plus, you have pre-Riddler Paul Dano giving a fantastic performance in There Will Be Blood.
1: I they, Marie? I See, I like both of these. I, I'm surprised at your take because I think no, no Country for Old Men left more of an impact on me. Like, I, I don't know. The... Javier Bardem, like, really, like, instilled a fear in me when watching that movie. Noah's pick was No Country for
0: Old Men because he thought it'd be too normy to pick The Godfather. Interesting.
2: I, uh, I just found out that these movies were released a month and a half apart.
0: Yeah, and they're kind of similar. And There Will Be Blood is Callum's pick, uh, the guy who said The Shining is Steven, uh, Stanley Kubrick's worst movie. So You shouldn't have said that. Now I'm picking No Country for Old Men.
2: So, uh, No Country for Old Men. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's where I was going anyways.
0: All right, up next, Three Amigos versus Donnie Darko. These movies are kind of similar They're about some friends (laughs) I don't know if Donnie has any friends (laughs) He makes a new friend And it's an imaginary bunny rabbit Telling him to kill somebody (laughs) All around me are familiar faces We can't delay addressing the elephant In the room any further Donnie Darko kind of launched The 80s nostalgia train a little early And I think it's the best to do it since. The soundtrack for this movie is absolutely fucking incredible. I love that the movie is set in the late 80s, but it doesn't, it's not dependent on the story at all. I love Patrick Swayze in it. You have a great Patrick Swayze performance in this movie where he's like playing a predator but also someone who's like preaching what abstinence it's like it's a really really weird role for him and he's great in it i think that donnie darko is like yeah it's the i went to film school in 2003 and smoked a lot of weed take of like the best movie of the 21st century but i really think that there's a reason why donnie darko has a cult following as big as it does uh three amigos is a great comedy great ensemble comedy whose movie was this uh three amigos i just said was eamon haggerty's favorite movie because he didn't respond to me (laughs) yeah he didn't respond to me either so you picked three amigos eamon eamon haggerty not our friend anymore nick's our best friend i should have just asked nick what eamon's favorite movie was but i'm pretty sure he was gonna say blues brothers and i did not want it on here three times
1: that would have been so fucking funny (laughs)
0: I think Three Amigos is great It's a good ensemble comedy Uh, Steve Martin, Chevy Chase, and Martin Short All play off each other very, very well Uh, Chevy Chase being the straight man To Martin Short and Steve Martin being wacky Zany characters is really funny And the concept of movie stars Going down to uh, Mexico Thinking they're making an action movie And are actually just in the middle of like a cartel feud Is fucking hilarious (laughs) Donnie Darko, to me, is one of those movies That made me want to get into making movies And is way more important
2: (laughs) I feel like it's an odd choice that they replace Chevy Chase with, uh, Selena Gomez.
1: (laughs) In the Three Amigos sequel uh, TV show. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Honestly,
0: Selena Gomez is better than Chevy Chase. Based. And nobody wants to work with Chevy Chase. (laughs) You're you're kind of you're kind of leaning me towards Three Amigos. I,
3: I can't.
0: <laughs> Up next, we've got Finding Nemo versus Captain Fantastic.
2: Man, I knew I should have watched Captain Fantastic when I added it to, to my list two years ago.
0: <laughs> What's your guys' opinions here?
2: Are we gonna pick another Pixar movie to go here? might be right how similar is captain fantastic to little miss sunshine
0: captain fantastic is really not much of a similarity to little miss sunshine at all the central conceit of the movie is this single father who chooses to raise his kids kind of as like nomads he they live in the woods they have like a cool van that they all like live in um but he like homeschools them and teaches them what values that he holds true and when there's like a death in the family uh he has to like reconvene with his brother's family and the kids have to be kind of raised in a more like modern way after child protective services is called um but the the fun thing about this movie is like although it's it's got this like um kind of zany premise of like this guy is just raising his kids the the way that he wants they're all like brilliant like they they aren't They aren't troubled. They are going to public school for the first time and are like mopping the floors of uh, intellectual uh, capabilities, even though everyone expects them to be really dumb. And this movie has a lot of heart and it kind of pulls the rug out from under you in the third act where it's like, even though he is a good dad, he's not doing the right thing and the kids don't see it that way. And that's what makes this movie special. Oh, that would make me cry. This is actually two good movies to compare it to. I think that both these movies have a really interesting uh, theme with like father and like child relationships. I think the difference is Captain Fantastic Captain Fantastic's like a full ensemble whereas Finding Nemo is a road trip movie with a really annoying Ellen DeGeneres performance
1: Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Somebody had to say it. I have never reminded her. Fuck you Alden this, no, we're back to fuck you, Alden.
0: Remember when, uh, remember when Ellen went to, like, a football game with George Bush and everyone lost their minds?
2: <laughs> Do you remember when Ellen murdered a PA on her set? Alden. What? Did you sure shirt come in? Josh, I'm not getting up from my chair.
1: You will when the Dominoes shows up.
2: Oh, Dominoes sounds so good right now. So, I
0: already tried it, and Alden's Dominoes is not doing orders to his area anymore. Like, they're like, we are not doing delivery options right now. I think I got blocked. Yeah, what's your guys' vote here? I know I'm the only one who's seen Captain Fantastic, so we can go with Finding Nemo if it's more nostalgic. Yeah, I mean, I think Finding Nemo's a really good father-son story. I I don't have a problem with it. I think it was way too high on Jory's list when we did the Pixar episode.
1: I don't know. I think while I'm cleaning the apartment today, I'm going to turn on Captain Fantastic. I don't want to
2: watch Finding Nemo again.
0: I don't want to watch the first 30 seconds of Finding Nemo again. Uh, Captain Fantastic's on Amazon Prime, by the way.
2: I'll say Captain Fantastic because I don't like the father-son arc of Finding Nemo hot take. So what the
0: fuck do you like? Okay, never mind. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? Up next, here it is, Sekula round. We've got Mr. Nobody
1: versus Avengers Endgame.
2: I'm sitting this one out.
1: <laughs> no matter what, where I lean, it's going to be a hot take on myself. What does that even mean?
0: You're battling this yourself.
1: Pick Endgame, then I'm denying the fact that I think Mr. Nobody is actually very underrated. If I pick Mr. Nobody, I'm picking an unpopular pick within 90% of anybody. I like Avengers
0: Endgame more than Infinity War, and I know that's a hot take. Yeah, it is. I just tend to like third movies, and like I know this isn't technically a third movie in a trilogy, but it's like the conclusion to something. And I tend to like those movies a lot for some reason. And um, I like that the first act leaves you like guessing. Like, I have no idea where, where the plot's gonna go after um, uh, the spoilers for a four-year-old movie when uh, Thor chops off Thanos' head.
1: Yeah, yeah, I remember being in the theater, being like, oh, all right, okay, I guess. Well,
0: I like that Avengers Endgame is kind of a swan song for Tommy Lee Jones and Josh Brolin's incredible in it <laughs> I agree <laughs> I think it's really interesting that uh, when they age up Captain America he's Joe Biden Like, <laughs> just straight up looks like Joe Biden this movie was propaganda for the current timeline that we live in and I'm pissed about it
1: I want a, uh, I want a, a clip of Joe Biden sitting on a bench and he goes no I don't think I will
0: <laughs> oh that's what they're gonna say when they ask him to run again
1: <laughs> he's he's, he's going to be like, no, I don't think I will. <laughs> He'll say, no. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> N- Mr. Nobody
0: or Endgame, pick one.
2: Endgame just because it's going to go further than Nobody, but... I'm stepping in. Mr. Nobody. You're
0: a fucking menace. <laughs> Alden backed out and now he's back in. I thought I was out and they just pulled me back in. I like uh, Mr. Nobody's like uh, kind of heady concepts. And I don't think it's um, I don't think it's presented in a way that's hard to follow at all. It's it's got these really, really broad and really, really like uh, heady concepts. But from a narrative standpoint, it's relatively like linear. And it's like you just get sucked into the, the world. Avengers Endgame can't figure out what the fuck it wants to do with time travel, and this is the second largest movie of all time.
1: I'm willing to go back. I just figured Endgame will probably go further than Mr. Nobody. But I think either one of these is going to get knocked in the next round.
0: I have a very, I have a very important factor here for against Mr. Nobody. Jared Leto.
1: Yes. That's my that's my reason for it.
0: Like we talked about it in our uh, roast of Jared Leto slash Nate Martin episode. Uh, it was kind of believed that this is one of the better Jared Leto movies. And I think it is, especially with him in the lead performance, because I think he's a better character actor or supporting role. But is there a single performance in Avengers Endgame where you're like, oh, this is this character's outing. And is that actor's best performance as that character? Because I don't think it's anyone's best movie.
1: That's a really good point. Mark Ruffalo. No.
0: Shut up. Mark Ruffalo is low-key good in the first Avengers, and it pisses me off because he's not good for any other movie.
1: Hulk in the MCU as a whole is just a fucking dumpster fire mess. Now She-Hulk's the thing. The first episode of She-Hulk was low key kind of good.
0: I mean, I liked I liked Brie Larson in this movie. She didn't talk. I was about to say the only one I could think of is Brie Larson as Captain Marvel, but we have more Marvels coming. So. Uh no, I actually really like Thor's arc ended at first, and then he just becomes a joke.
2: Still is. Uh
0: yeah, still is. Hasn't recovered since. I feel like the only other character you can maybe make a case for is Hawkeye. I was about to say Hawkeye's arc is cool. That scene with him and Natasha fighting on the cliff is pretty key, no? I mean, I think it's a good. Con- I think it's a good conclusion for Scarlett Johansson's character. We had a really awkward movie after, but
1: yeah, but it wasn't. <laughs> I've been swayed to Mister Nobody again.
0: Sweet Mister Nobody moves on, and up next we've got SpongeBob SquarePants of the movie versus another round.
1: All right. Well, I say SpongeBob, but I'll be right back. Have you? I- Josh, have you seen another round?
0: I haven't seen another round yet because I thought it would hit too close to home. It will.
1: It's kind of good. It's
0: very good. I think it's one of the best uh, portrayals of like functioning alcoholism. This guy's like, I'm going to like maintain a 0.06 blood alcohol <laughs> level for an entire year and see how my life goes. And it's a weird experiment. And it's um, a good script. It has ups and downs. And I think that there's parts where it like, it's like, oh yeah, this looks fun. And then there's like, Holy fucking shit, this is depressing. Yeah. I I think that there's movies that kind of do things similar a little bit better and I just rewatched the movie Sideways with Paul Giamatti and Thomas Hayden Church the other day, and I really like how that movie focuses on the similar concept but only over the course of a week, and you're seeing the highs and lows of people's life in a span of a week as opposed to a whole year. I think it's just tighter, and I think you can get better performances out of it. Um, But, I mean, it's SpongeBob SquarePants the movie. This is a favorite to win the whole damn thing, I think. Yeah. It's hard to compare... uh The praise I hear from Another Round to a literal movie that I've seen, like, a million times.
1: Yeah, and Spongebob SpongeBob Squarepants, the movie, is, like, easily the best Spongebob movie, but also, like, it truly encompasses everything that... It should have been the series finale. It should have. It should have. It's the peak of
0: Spongebob culture, I think. Yeah, and Alden has been riding that train for, like, 20 years now.
1: It's like the Simpsons movie, in that way.
0: I feel like the Simpsons were, like, long, like irrelevant though like the SpongeBob like movie came out at its like literal peak.
1: Yeah, I just think that it in the same like they're similar in the way that like the Simpsons movie encompasses everything that I love about the Simpsons. I'm not saying the Simpsons movie isn't good, I think it's fantastic. No, when it came out it definitely wasn't like at the peak of the Simpsons.
0: It was like right after 5 seasons of active decline whereas the SpongeBob SquarePants movie was produced right after its 3 season run of perfection. Yeah. Yeah. It would be like if the Simpsons movie came out in 1995. Yeah, I think it just made a lot of sense for that movie to come out at that time. It was smart. Due to the way that this is structured, we are doing another round on the left side before hopping over to the right. So let's try to make this a little bit of a speed round. Oh boy. Where's Alden though? Oh, wait. Yeah. When's Alden back? While we have this gap in here, uh, Nate, uh, what has been uh, your favorite episode of Duel of the Takes? It's a tough question. Um, I think my favorite episodes of Duel of the Takes are the ones where we go in with, like, a more experimental, like, format, and it works really, really well. Because there's times where we've done, like, ah, it's it'll come together, don't worry about it, and it's been, like, a good recording. Uh, like when we first started doing drafts, I think it took us a couple to really like get familiar with that formatting for my favorite episode that I think we've ever done. And it kind of blows my mind that it worked was the Rankin Bass holiday special <laughs> because I was just like, I want to do a tier list. I want to write summaries for each of these movies because with Rankin Bass, people know like three or four of them. And then that was a like season late one, late season one episode. And then as we continued tier lists moving forward, we divvied up the writing for each of the summaries. And I think we found a really great way to do tier lists um, in a unique way that is very like replicable. And I, I liked that we made tier lists our own in a sort of way and editing that episode, because it was right around the holidays and I had to go and watch a lot of the Rankin-Bass shit It was just fun putting together and like syncing up my really cynical takes on some of those with footage from their movies to make it look like I was painting a a picture for the ones I didn't care about. Uh, It was also really funny to like dive deep into the lore of Rankin Bass as like a cinematic universe and things like Peter Cottontail just being a shot-for-shot remake of Santa Claus is Coming to Town and shit. There's just a lot of fun to be had there.
2: Blazing Saddles. (laughs) (laughs)
1: He has returned
2: Uh, Back to the
0: future Back to the future I'm on Blazing Saddles here so fuck we have a tie Rock,
2: paper, scissors. We're gonna talk it out.
0: Blazing Saddles, I think, is really funny. It uh went with Back to the Future because I feel like Back to the Future a lot of times is like the blueprint on how you wanna make a very popular blockbuster. You have a likable protagonist in Marty McFly, you have a really cool supporting actor in Doc. You have a unlikable like guy you wanna see like his shit get rocked in Biff. And you have, like, a fun, like, vehicle or something like the DeLorean. Like, it literally, like, it is the blueprint of what you want to do for a fun summer blockbuster. And um, I think Blazing Saddles is a great comedy. The the one detriment it has is that it might have killed the Western genre a little too much. Because now, like, we can't even, we can barely get a good Western, like, every ten years now. That's actually my, my in the favor of Blazing Saddles for me. Um, there was such an oversaturation of Westerns in the 50s and 60s, and it was starting to dwindle a little bit in popularity. It was starting to die down. It was starting to become a little less popular. I think between 1956 and 1968, there were 151 Western television shows broadcasted on television. It's going <clears> to <throat> be Disney Plus soon. That is on... Three and then in the 60s, four basic cable channels. There were over 160 shows centered around western law, like cowboys and shit like that. God. Or 70% of the highest grossing movies of each year in that same time span were westerns. I think superhero movies are oversaturated today, and that's not even an understatement, but they are nowhere near as popular as the westerns were in the 50s and 60s. This movie comes out. It is not only a deconstruction of the Western, it puts a black man in the lead role as the sheriff for the first time in all of those Westerns. It, it was a trailblazing movie. It killed a genre with its satire. And I think that that is awesome. And I think the superhero genre needs its blazing saddles. I've said this on the record, made a whole video essay about it. I think that Back to the Future is one of the greatest movies of the 1980s. I think it's a lot of fun. It's one of the most crowd-pleasing movies of all time, but Blazing Saddles still makes me laugh out loud. And I think its cultural impact is Unprecedented. What do you think a superhero version of Blazing Saddles 2 could do on comparison of having a black man as a sheriff in a Western?
2: Starring Elliot Page.
0: Well, we have the Umbrella Academy, and they're not going to do that. <laughs> I I think it would have to be something along the lines of something like Sorry to Bother You, uh, where it is more of a deconstruction of our society and our view on superheroes. And I currently think The Boys does that very, very well. So I really don't think it's even possible for a Blazing Saddles of superhero movies to exist.
1: Yeah, the problem with that, like with creating something that would deconstruct the superhero genre so much that it would die, is that you're right, like something like The Boys or um shit, there's a couple other like
0: well well, I also feel like too, with like a very a society right now that is, um, I don't want to say is like anti cop, but very very sus of cops. Uh, a superhero genre dominating makes a lot of sense because it's all vigilantism.
1: They make fun of the fact that it's a superhero movie in the in it. Subtly while still like fully embracing it, but then you have stuff like the boys which deconstructs our view with like superheroes and superhero movies and celebrity culture while still Actually like fully immersing itself in the genre like it's it is still a superhero show It still is like it still wants you to be like oh that was fucking sick That was cool and get gets you hyped about what's actually happening while being deconstructing So you would have to have something that like makes you as the audience member Think that it's stupid now which I don't know if that can be done w- right now. I don't think I think we'd have to have a a few more um, uh, like moon nights for that to happen. <laughs> I think people are still too engrossed in it.
0: Or I think the opposite would need to happen, where you have a superhero movie that's so ironically just a superhero movie that it's like so stale, and everyone's like, "Fuck this shit." We've seen the same movie a thousand times now. That might have just happened with Thor: Love and Thunder.
2: yeah we're at least close if that wasn't the one yeah the movie's making
0: a profit but i feel like the mcu fatigue is actually happening on a mainstream level finally but wakanda forever could turn that around so who knows
1: that honestly looks kind of sick it looks really well shot
0: um alden anything you want to echo on my blazing saddles uh take before we uh move on with back to the future
2: um no, I'd rather talk about Back to the Future, believe it or not. Um, and I don't think we can leave alone Josh's Freud Freudian issues. Uh, watching it with his mom.
0: Did the Southerner just try to talk to me
2: about incest? I don't live in Alabama or West Virginia. You are living in a Confederate state. Uh, yeah. Well, he's moving to New York, which is not much better. <laughs>
0: I like the earnesty of Blazing Saddles using a Western score despite it being a comedy. I also really love the intro uh, song, which is done by a guy who did a lot of the television shows uh, themes. It feels like if you were to go into Blazing Saddles totally blind, which I'm sure a lot of people did in the 70s because they're like, oh, it's a Western movie. The poster looks like it's just another Western movie. It's a total. Deconstruction of its genre, so I think like you would eventually realize it's just straight up shitting on what you love halfway through. You know what's funnier though? That one scene in Django Unchained where that lady gets blown up like a cartoon character across the hall. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: disagree. I just I don't know. Blazing Saddles is better. We
0: could we go with Blazing Saddles. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna fight it. Back to the Future has gotten its love. Sorry to bother you. Versus the Terminator, three. Two, one. Sorry to bother you. Sorry Terminator. to bother you. Terminator. All right, so it looks like we have another fight in the speed round. Sorry to bother you versus Terminator. Um, who wants to lead?
1: I'll lead. I think that uh, Terminator is very tight and well-crafted, and while Sorry to Bother You also is, I don't think that it has as much like wide wide appeal. I don't think it's bad. I don't want to shit on it. I don't want these two movies to go up against each other, but I gotta stick to my guns that I think that...
0: I also don't know how much I could talk about Army Hammer. I guess the documentary hasn't come out yet, so... (laughs) I like that he's playing... Like, this exaggerated version of a billionaire. He's like Jeff Bezos mixed with Mark Zuckerberg, and I think that's funny. I don't know if he's playing a character, Nate, (laughs) now that that I've watched the trailer for this documentary. His character's not a cannibal in the movie. His character likes horse cock. Well, as far as we know. That we know of. Terry Crews is funny and Sorry to Bother You. Very. I think Sorry to Bother You works for me in a lot of the same ways that Blazing Saddles does, where it, it... isn't deconstructing a genre but it's giving a lot of social commentary and uh i think is like one of those movies that's meant to like be like a bucket of water on a uh on a slumbering audience and it's it's a woke movie and i think it does it very very well i like how anti-capitalist this movie is um not only just in its um commentary and on what it's trying to say but every single scene of the movie is is dripping in Uh, this hatred of of the system. And I think it's about as punk as a movie can get nowadays. I think The Terminator is also just a landmark movie, but for entirely different reasons. And I mean, James Cameron's a fantastic director, but uh, sorry to bother you, I don't think Boots Riley's making anything else. I think he had to make this movie to get a message across. And is it borderline propaganda? Maybe, but is it entertaining propaganda? Absolutely.
1: Uh, I I think that Boots Riley knocked it out of the park in a directorial debut, and I don't know if he's gonna do anything else. That's a good point. You make good points. I think James Cameron
0: has made better movies than Terminator, and I love Terminator. He's made one better movie. Terminator 2 titanic i just love the sci-fi horror of the terminator that we don't really get anymore the what's the closest thing we've come to sci-fi horror the ex machina i guess like the last 10 minutes of ex machina annihilation yeah annihilation i don't
1: get why people like that movie
2: i don't know movie's not great honestly yeah i don't like it uh but a lot of people read the book after watching the movie so
0: I have an interesting question for uh, everyone here on this topic. So I think Terminator is a really tight movie and it makes it rewatchable because like it has great pacing and it doesn't overstay its welcome. Like t 2s a hour longer and it's like, it's a great movie and has a lot of great set pieces so you're glued in. But like you can turn on Terminator any day and it, you're in and out in like a hundred minutes and it's great. Sorry to Bother You's got similar pacing, but it's not as like action oriented. It's a lot of talking. I think that Sorry to Bother You is a rewatchable movie, but I think a big part of that is the concept of having to introduce it to somebody else. I personally don't throw on Sorry to Bother You by myself because I know that movie like the back of my hand after seeing it three or four times. But I love showing new people Sorry to Bother You.
2: Yeah, me too.
0: Do you think that Terminator uh, edges it out just on pure
1: entertainment value that you can enjoy it by yourself? I think so purely because, this is anecdotal, of course, but I've... I've tried to show many people, sorry to bother you, and people stop paying attention. Like, they just are not hooked by it. And I don't get why, because I remember seeing this in theaters, and I was like, this is fucking incredible. I haven't yeah. seen a movie like this in forever. But I've tried to show it to other people, and it just doesn't, it doesn't grip them like it does me. Terminator, though, most people are going to get caught by that. Like that's, And it is, like you said, it's a, it's a quick in and out. Um, there's not a lot to grasp. There's not a lot to read into. Like at least on the first like. It is. It is
0: interesting with Terminator how uh, much you do cling on to those characters in the first movie. So when you go to the sequels, like even in a movie like Salvation, you're like you're still caring about Christian <laughs> Bale in the movie because he's playing a very significant role that you know like connects to the original two movies. And like Sarah Connor, this is like. Yeah, like, she's getting chased after this T-800, T, um, T but uh, it's the foundation for her being a total badass in Terminator 2, and then her comeback in the very underwhelming Dark Fate, but she was good in it. Um, yeah, you still really care about those characters, all from this one movie and you can't really say that about a lot of franchises where even something like the MCU it took a couple of movies for people to really care about those characters by the time you got to Endgame. For Endgame it took 10 years of character development.
1: Sounded like you just said friend game and that sounds like a great movie.
0: And but the Terminator all it took was this one little movie this one little sci-fi horror movie in the 80s and I just have a lot of admiration for that. I think capitalism wins.
2: I'm sorry, Alden. I uh I would never watch Terminator alone. That would have to be someone else puts it on. I would. I would. I probably will.
0: Alrighty, Toy Story versus Beetlejuice here. Context, Toy Story 2 got eliminated.
2: Why is it Beetlejuice? Beetlejuice,
1: Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice.
0: Thanks to Alden.
1: I still think it's Beetlejuice, honestly.
0: Uh, Alright, Nate, let's debate. I'm gonna let's let's debate Toy Story here. I'm not gonna leave you this time. Uh-huh. This movie is a groundbreaking film because of its animation style, but also think about this voice cast. You have the biggest actor on TV at the time, at least in a sitcom, and Tim Allen playing uh, Buzz Lightyear, and you have Tom Hanks, the biggest movie star at this point, in the lead role. And I think like celebrity voice acting becomes a thing as these CGI movies get made after, but this is an A-list cast. Yeah, Alden, no Shrek 2 if this doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah exactly i think that that even at its inception pixar was striving toward leaps and bounds in animation to make them more of an appeal to the whole family and not just for kids and i think that that is very like that's very prominent in the first outing in toy story the underlying themes of like friendship and found family are poignant through their entire filmography and I I think people resonate with that. I think Beetlejuice is a great great movie. I think it's a very funny movie I think it's a very entertaining movie but Toy Story is the kind of movie that it it means so much to our generation, the generation before us and anyone that was a parent and had to watch this shit 30,000 times My parents still love this movie and I made them watch this movie twice a day for like two and a half years Yeah, like uh beetlejuice is a classic i love that movie but i don't know if we're talking about like cultural significance nothing gets bigger than toy story i mean everybody has a toy story memory whether you love this movie hate this movie saw it once as a kid you have a memory with it
2: my memory is more of a nightmare and it's the cgi baby not even part of the movie so
0: why is beetlejuice a movie you've seen once better alden yeah, if we're talking about nightmares as a kid, Beetlejuice was kind of the king of that.
2: Not really, it never scared or bothered me.
0: The snake, bro? It scared the fuck out of me. The stop-motion
2: weird snake
1: thing? When they, like, fuck with their faces? I was on bother.
2: I think the only part of it that bothered me was the, I guess, burn victims. Oh god.
0: Yeah, you're not selling me on why Beetlejuice is better.
2: Also, Josh, DreamWorks predates Toy Story, so don't even try that. Yeah, for 2D
0: animation. And you know what else predates DreamWorks in 2D animation? To everything else that came out before DreamWorks. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Toy Story literally started a subgenre in 3D animation that VeggieTales started on the little, but for the feature length it was Toy it was Toy Story and Pixar.
2: Yeah, and it's ruined the industry, so... I wouldn't say that.
0: I definitely don't think that's Toy Story's fault. I think
2: it is. I would argue
0: it's more of Shrek and Shrek 2's fault. It's definitely more of Shrek's fault.
2: Shrek would not have caused Disney to start using the same engines that they used with Pixar.
0: Yes, but the success of Shrek 2 being literally the highest grossing domestic movie does.
1: Hey, Sakula, can you provide some insight on why Beetlejuice is better than Toy Story? We can talk all day about how Toy Story had a lasting impact, um, but I think that Beetlejuice is uh, a more entertaining movie. I think it's got a lot more to say. Um, oh yeah, I think that it, I think it has a more cohesive theme. Um, I think it's better to fucking look at. Like we can we can gush over Toy Story and how it like. I don't know if it has
0: more to say. Like Buzz alone goes through an existential crisis in Toy Story.
2: Yeah, but like I don't care. Yeah, thank you. <laughs>
0: what What did you care though, uh, watching Beetlejuice for the first time? What were the themes that you caught on Alden? Because even as a like two year old child, I I understood the themes of Toy Story.
2: Yeah,
1: no, you didn't. And that's what made it. That's what made it good. Is because you caught the themes.
0: I mean, it elevates it. That's what. Al- that's what's always elevated Pixar over any other animation studio. I, no, I don't. am sorry, I don't have Cameron Diaz farting in my face and Shrek. I have really good characters and and. and- character development and themes but also keeping entertaining and funny
1: we also always bring it back to some kind of cultural significance and stuff like that and i don't think that that's um
0: i'm not even taking cultural significance in the play i'm literally just talking about the
2: i don't know that's kind of been the biggest thing you've mentioned
0: i've been literally been talking about the quality of the film and the writing and the script
2: yeah and the quality of the film really doesn't matter when you compare it to even other toy stories
0: Okay, tell me what Beetlejuice does better from a script standpoint or
2: anything. It was more entertaining. It was more entertaining.
0: Hey, look, I'm Picasso. What are you looking at, you hockey puck? Come on, Don Rickles fucking kills this movie.
1: You got Arlie Ermey as the army man, dude? Like, that's hilarious. You got the fuck? It is good. I'm not saying either one of these movies is bad.
0: They're both very funny movies.
2: Yeah, but, like, I like Toy Story 2 more. A lot more. I don't actually care about Toy Story. And that's why you voted it out? Well, I voted it out to piss off Josh. And me!
0: I didn't really care about that round. That's why I did the Alden feels bad round.
1: Yeah, well now you're now you're reaping what you sow. Let's
2: pick Beetlejuice and move on. <laughs> yeah, well you just killed sorry to bother you. So why not make it as another one, huh?
0: I mean, I love both of these movies. I don't really lose here, Alden. I was trying to help Nate. Well, I lost with Toy Story again. Duel of the Takes is doomed to repeat itself. I'm fucking crying. <laughs> <laughs> Princess Bride versus Blade Runner. Blade Runner. It's fucking Blade Runner. It's Blade
1: Runner. <laughs> Blade Runner.
0: All right. Social Network versus the Blues Brothers. Ready? Three, two, one.
1: The Social, social Network. Blues Network. Brothers. Blues Brothers.
0: Yeah.
2: I figured it'd be split.
0: I don't know how much I can stand by this. Yeah, I don't know either. (laughs) I like both of these movies a lot. I know I've seen The Social Network more times than The Blues Brothers, so maybe I should lean that way. I think it's a masterpiece. It's a modern masterpiece, but I really just don't... I I have so much appreciation for Blues Brothers because it is a -a one-of-a-kind movie. There's nothing else quite like it with a mix between action sequences and musical numbers, great comedic timing coked up Carrie Fisher trying to kill Dan Aykroyd the whole movie. Like, how
1: can you not like that?
0: (laughs) There's just been so much 80s slander this, uh, this semi-round that I voted Blues Brothers.
1: I mean, I'm not gonna be mad whichever way this goes. I think both of these are great. One of them is a huge part of my childhood, but I I gotta say Social Network. I just think it's a, a superior movie, but... I mean, Blues Brothers deserves all the credit. The other thing is, is that in this next round, I don't think that Blues Brothers is going to be able to maintain Right. with with any momentum.
0: Yeah, if social network's moving on, I, I have a big thing to talk about with it after. So, yeah, social network. Return of the King versus No Country for Old Men. Three, two, one.
2: <laughs> no Country for Old Men. No Country for Old Men. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's fine. I, okay. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Donnie Darko versus Captain Fantastic. Three, two, one. It's Donnie
2: Darko. Donnie, Donnie Darko. Donnie Darko.
0: All righty. Mr. Nobody versus the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. Three, two, one. It's SpongeBob. The
2: SpongeBob so SquarePants Square
3: Square Square movie.
0: <laughs> now we get to hop over to the other side of the bracket finally to secure are, uh, I guess it's the Elite Eight? No, Sweet Sixteen. Holy fuck, we got a long way to go. Piss break. Oh yeah, anyone need to piss?
1: Uh, no, but I have to feed my cat really quick because he's screaming at me. So, Alden. Hi.
0: While you were away, Josh asked me what my favorite episode of Duel of the Takes was.
2: What's been yours? They're more recent ones, either the Wes Anderson one or SpongeBob.
0: I think that across the board, season three had some of our really, really great episodes. Yeah. I think a big part of that's you, buddy. I think you stepped it up this season. Did your homework, formed some opinions, pissed some people off. That's what I'm good at. Uh, Alden, what are you looking forward to most about moving to New York City?
2: The pollution.
0: Hey, we're a pretty clean city.
2: No, uh, I don't know. I have no friends here, and I've got a bunch of friends there, so...
0: And congrats on selling your car for nine thousand dollars. How was the how was the drop off? So, uh, Peralski was making it sound like you were you, you needed to be strapped. No, uh, it was fine. He was like, "It's at a warehouse." I'm scared. I was like, "I don't care."
2: It was in like a condo place. The dude still owned one there. He had it for sale, I guess, and it wasn't sold yet. So he was just like, "Yeah, we can meet there." He came here to see it, drive it, whatever. But yeah, it was pretty painless. There may be issues with paperwork, but probably not.
0: He just texted the group chat, what goes good with Malibu rum? This is going to be a wild back half of the episode, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) We are navigating our way to the right side of the bracket, finally. We've got La La Land versus The Departed.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Departed.
0: The Departed what are your guys' thoughts here
2: i haven't seen la la land i like la la land a lot it made me
0: boston versus la celtics and lakers you know you know what i gotta vote
2: oh well i like the colors of the lakers better these are
0: both weird movies for me because i think they're both overrated like i like both of them yeah (laughs) um but i feel like they're the type of movies that you would see on someone's blu-ray like case like like a they have a bunch of Blu-rays, and both of these are there, and you know neither one of them is being watched nearly enough for them warranting being bought on Blu-ray.
2: It's my case, kind of like uh, Drive being on their Blu-ray shelf, but no one in the apartment having seen Drive.
0: I kind of want, I kind of want the Departed poster, like T-shirt thing, like my Pulp Fiction shirt. Yeah, but I agree both of these movies are overrated, but I just love the Departed. I don't think it's anyone's
1: best performance in that movie. I'm sorry, I've never seen The Departed. Uh, I've seen The Departed.
0: I do, I do like that Scorsese got the Oscar for it. It kind of felt like, here it is, you are the greatest American director of all time. Here's your an Academy Award. Yeah, I I agree. I do think like the Lifetime Achievement Oscar toss to Scorsese is pretty sick. I think that he well deserved it decades before. The trailer for The Departed is iconic. I like La La Land. In parts I don't like that movie as a whole I think that when it's a musical in the beginning I'm invested When it stops being a musical, yeah When it stops being a musical and starts being a relationship drama I don't care Because I never buy the relationship between Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling In this movie I buy their chemistry in other movies There's just something about this one that doesn't feel right And I love the ending So it's like a really disjointed film for me Grace hates the ending and turns it off <laughs> <laughs> Based, It's an emotional gut punch for me. Um, the ending of La La Land, uh, especially this year, has made me cry a lot. But The Departed is, like, I kind of feel the opposite way, where I like the movie as it goes on more. And I love how it subverts your expectations in the third act. And um, the whole, once they figure out who the rat is, it de-escalates pretty quickly. Um I don't necessarily think that... You're right, Josh. Anyone in here gives their best performance. Maybe Mark Wahlberg, the more I think about it. now the other guys. Matt Damon is such a fucking prick in this movie. I like when Matt Damon plays a villain. Except for Dr. Man.
1: I love the soundtrack of La La Land. I, it's, I probably have listened to the entire thing all the way through... Uh, half a million times uh, and I know all of the words to everything I have to pick it on on that and the emotional gut punch which personally I, I like it's a it's another day of Sun for Sekoula oh yes oh yes it is
0: one of my favorite scenes in La La Land is when the, she goes to that party and Ryan Gosling is playing I ran so far away by a flock of seagulls with a synth with a keytar it's the best scene of the movie <laughs> Wait, the best scene of the movie is not where Ryan Gosling is uh, white-splaining jazz to John Legend? (laughs) (laughs) It makes Ryan Gosling look so fucking racist when John Legend comes up to him and he's so uncomfortable. Alright, if we had to do a commentary track for one of these two movies, would it be more fun to, like, La La Land or Departed? I mean, it would be La La Land. Departed would be more fun. I think it would be La La Land. I think La La Land's a good a good group watch movie. Because once we get to the scenes where I don't like, we could just rift over them. Yeah, that's
1: true. That's true.
0: But The Departed, I don't even... I don't know what I'd even riff. It just feels like I'm like watching a movie with my dad.
1: <laughs> yeah, we'd probably just be gushing the whole time instead of riffing. It might be more entertaining. We would just
0: be talking about how hot we think the cast is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a good, like, last performance in a movie of this scale for jack nicholson i know he did a couple others after but like this is a good one for jackie boy to go out on too i think one of the greats um but yeah i i think i'm actually casting my vote for la la land the more i think about it i think it's three to one i'm gonna give my sole vote to the Departed because i'm shipping out to boston
2: no i just i don't care enough about the departed and i haven't seen la la land so this is fine up next we've got master and commander
0: starring russell crowe versus mean girls mean
2: girls mean girls, mean girls.
1: Yeah, mean
0: girls. (laughs) I'm sorry, Ben, you were great on our uh, David Fincher uh, filmography ranked episode, but Based Alex takes it. (laughs) (laughs) Batman, Mask of the Phantasm, up against the 1999 The Mummy. I hope Perulski doesn't listen to this part of the episode um, as the biggest Batman fan on the panel. I hope he does. Mask of the Phantasm, um, I think is good but there is like five Batman movies I will watch over this. The Mummy is immensely entertaining and does not get the praise that it should when it comes to elevating the adventure movie genre of the 2000s. Um, Yeah, I think The Mummy uh, deserves to go. That will be my vote.
2: Yeah, this one's easy for me. It's The Mummy. Yeah, I think the Universal ride's pretty cool.
0: Oh, that that ride kicks ass. That is a great ride. Yeah, it does. One more thing I will say about Batman, Mask of the Phantasm... That score is incredible. Yeah, it is. I would love to see a re- like a redo of that score, a re-recording of that score in a new Batman movie, because it's like... The movie's just so
1: overrated. <laughs> like, it's just... It's not that good. Can we replace uh, the, the score of the Batman to the Mask of the Phantasm score? Because I think that that would be kind of fucking awesome.
0: I like the Batman score. I feel like I'm like the outlier in
1: this. I like it too. I just think I want to hear the Mask of the Phantasm score on that movie.
0: As much as I like the baseline of uh, Nirvana's something in the way, I don't think it makes a compelling (laughs) Batman score for the entire movie. Up next, we've got Ghost in the Shell, the 1995 animated movie up against Spirited Away.
2: I mean, I guess the pairing makes sense, but this is kind of difficult to...
0: I feel bad for Alden. No, 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 I feel bad for Alden. This is a feel bad for Alden round. Oh, okay.
2: Alright, our second feel bad for Alden round. Oh, Josh, you've got to tell me which movie you think is better.
0: Alden, explain the plots of both movies. (laughs) and uh josh has to make a decision not knowing which is which because he has not seen either of them (laughs) no but you you have to describe the plots you can't look it up
2: josh have you seen the 2017 scarlett johansson ghost in the shell i know nate likes it a lot ghost in the taco bell
0: i haven't seen ghosts in the shell but i would wear ghosts in the taco bell shirt
2: i'm working on it is that a thing that doesn't exist already that exists they're just all garbage
1: ghost in the taco bell
0: the crunch wrap complex
2: yeah so like this uh, uh agent spy kind of person right uh her name is major this is ghost in the shell to clarify <laughs> <laughs> uh major is trying to track down someone who hacks into uh like cyborgs okay and just modified people and she herself is a cyborg uh and can yeah it's just a mess but um,
0: she has her human consciousness placed into a replicant body.
2: Okay. So the only thing that is still her is, like, memories. And so it's kind of like a, a identity crisis for her while also being somewhat of a spy thriller.
0: Why was there so much controversy then with Scarlett Johansson in the role if, if it's a replicant? So it could be any race, correct? Well,
2: legitimately, it is a white character. Okay. I think most of it was directed towards her but a lot of the side characters who are not supposed to be white are. And, like, a a portion of the cast is, like, fairly diverse, and the city it's in is also a kind of diverse thing, but the main cast is still mostly white. So I understand criticism. I just don't think it should have been directed towards her.
0: And what's Spirited Away about Alden?
2: I don't know. It depends on the angle you want to watch it at,
0: but... The angle that's going to make Josh like it the most.
2: Yeah. So this, uh, this, uh, family with one kid um shihiro she is moving to a new town new school everything and on their way driving to their new house or whatever they stop and go and find kind of a i guess abandoned amusement park looking place and when they go through it's uh not that (laughs) Geez, Alden, you should be a journalist. Alden Mason News. Shihiro and her parents stumble upon a seemingly abandoned amusement park after her mother and father are turned into giant pigs. Shihiro meets the mysterious Haku, who explains that the park is a resort for the supernatural beings who need a break from their time spent in the earthly realm, and she must work there to free herself and her parents.
0: So child labor with ghosts or... Uh, uh, uh a robot lady kicking ass
1: Cyberpunk 2077 I was about to say it's
0: definitely Ghost in the Shell that I would check out first because it's more of my taste
2: it's definitely more you Spirit Away is kind of Spirit Away I'd probably cry and it'd
0: be an emotional trip but I think Ghost in the Shell I. I'd
2: it's a Pixar vibe yeah
0: I think Ghost in the Shell overall I'd probably enjoy more alrighty and we've got Tyler from Much Liked Online uh, aka the Get Rolling Credits podcast favorite movie of all time uh, John Cassavetes The Killing of a Chinese Bookie versus Avengers Infinity War. Uh, it's a gritty 70s kind of uh, noir about this character who is a like strip club owner or I guess like a uh, gets in over his head with loan sharks and then it's pretty much uncut gems like 40 years before uncut gems came out. So the problem is here You mentioned Tyler's name, and the thought of an MCU movie beating Tyler's favorite movie is very pleasing to me.
2: Yeah, I do agree with that. (laughs) This sounds like a great win.
1: Yeah, if this was, um, the killing of a sacred deer, I think this would be a different conversation for me.
0: Yeah, it would win.
2: (laughs) But, uh, I'm, I'm gonna do Infinity War. Oh, that's interesting. HBO Max has the director's cut as well as, I guess, the theatrical cut
0: of Killing of a Chinese Bookie. Yeah. Both are both are good. I've only seen the director's cut once, but I've seen the uh, original a couple times. Yeah, up next we've got Empire Strikes Back versus Grand Budapest Hotel.
2: I don't know what to do here. Yeah, this is chaos. It's a good thing
0: Sekula's fiance is not within earshot, because he's going to sound like a total bigot. What he talks about.
1: (laughs) I hope she doesn't listen to this episode.
0: (laughs) It's going to be four hours long. No one's listening to this episode. (laughs) (laughs) This is the first duel. We had like an intermission.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I didn't realize it had been like two hours. Time flies when you're having
3: fun.
0: Am I? I actually am. So Empire Strikes Back, one of the highest uh, uh, praised sequels of all time. It's one of the Star Wars movies that's worth watching. <laughs> you know,
1: that says a lot, actually. It's one of the Star Wars movies. <laughs> a
0: review by Ne Martin. So jory, Jory forced me to watch Grand Budapest uh, back in like New Year's Day, I think. And um, I didn't know what to expect from it. Completely, like, uh, loved it uh, from start to finish. I wish I watched this, like, earlier, because I I, I I, think this is, like, a fantastic fucking movie. Um, I'm not, like, too familiar with Wes Anderson's other work, hence I wasn't on that episode. But Grand Budapest was definitely uh, piqued my interest of other Wes Anderson stuff. Because I think I've only seen this and uh, Isle of Dogs and uh, French dispatch so it's by far the best out of those three josh i'm telling you this now you would love the life aquatic of steve zizo
2: and i'm willing to watch it again soon i i implore you to
1: watch uh the the what is it the darjeeling the darjeeling limited would make you cry josh damn the darjeeling limited yeah that's an incredible movie
2: <laughs> that just reminded me i got some tea
0: um but no it's one of the most creative movies, I think. Did this come out in the 2010s? Yeah, 2014. It was like the best year of cinema. Oh, look, another movie better
1: than Mad Max Fury Road. Oh! Uh... You really think Mad Max Fury Road is better than this movie?
2: No, but I can see why they'd have... A di- I mean, it's a different audience, so I can see why they both are true. And actually, I was going to do some some uh, Wes Anderson slander here. Not with this
1: movie. No, not with this movie though. Uh, I think if it was if, if French Dispatch was here, I think I might have some things to say. I would slap you.
0: I don't like French Dispatch either,
1: Sakula. Yeah, it's 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 too much. It's like a Xerox of a Xerox for me.
0: It French Dispatch. I saw it with Jory, and it was the reason why he made me watch Grand Budapest. He's like, "Here's a good Wes Anderson movie," and then literally leaves my apartment. Like I needed to watch it alone. <laughs> he put it on and left. <laughs> It's the most jory shit I can imagine. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Watch this. Goodbye.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So is Empire better than your newfound love of Wes Anderson, Josh? I feel like I've been on the record that Empire is, I think, not my favorite Star Wars movie. My least favorite of the original trilogy.
1: What? Stop. Your least favorite of the original trilogy.
0: Absolutely. 100% agree. It It goes Return of the Jedi, A New Hope, and then Empire.
1: What the fuck is this
0: slander? Josh and I are on monoculture right now. We are on the same wavelength. We're woke. (laughs) I think it's me persuading him that Return of the Jedi is better, but who knows? Return of the Jedi Jedi um, was the most watched original trilogy movie I watched when I was a kid. The most watched Star Wars movie I watched as a kid was Revenge of the Sith because I'm a fiend.
1: <laughs> <laughs> gotta gotta agree on there. The, the prequels got more watch time in my household.
0: Yeah, they, were, they were coming out at that time. It made sense. Wait until the next generation of people who love the sequel trilogy. Like, I'm afraid of that generation. Like, I, I'm shaking in my boots thinking of that. They're already here and have Kylo Ren tattoos. <laughs> <clears throat> but the ones that are like, these were the Star Wars movies that like were in theaters when I was a kid. Like, that generation is frightening to me.
2: Well, at least they'll have Solo.
0: (laughs) They didn't see it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
1: Nobody did. I think
2: think we're amongst the only people that saw it.
0: Solo was for us, and us only.
2: I did put Solo as my second highest.
0: I think even as much as i love grand budapest hotel like i think empire does everything right as a sequel and like i kind of have to throw star wars out of the equation on this and just look at a new hope and what empire does as a continuation of it it ups the stakes it increases the uh, the world view of not only the characters, but it makes the galaxy feel bigger. You have characters that are introduced that have a previous relationship to characters like Lando. You don't really understand the ramifications of their past, and it's just accepted. To me, it elevates Star Wars um, from what A New Hope is into an actual franchise, but it also thematically delivers on a giant plot twist at the end and is a significantly stronger script. I don't think it's a stronger movie, but it's a stronger script than the first movie. I have to respect that a lot. I think that Grand Budapest is a fantastic work of art, but it's not even in my top three favorite Wes Anderson movies. I don't think it has an emotional uh, uh, attachment that some of his stronger movies, in my opinion, have. I like the aesthetics of the movie, and I love the kinetic energy, I love the pacing, I love the world building, but it doesn't have that X factor that makes me fall in love with the movie and want to watch it over and over again. And I think Empire has that for a lot of people.
1: I have to stick with Grand Budapest because I don't think that Empire stands a chance in the next round.
0: I think I like the cast of Grand Budapest better the acting's definitely better in grand budapest (laughs) yeah well that's 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 george lucas dialogue for you but um well no he didn't write this one that was fucking what's his name he's kind of a hack but we'll not talk that's not a subject right now he and his son wrote solo (laughs) oh maybe not maybe i maybe i redact my statement Didn't he also write a Muppets movie? Lawrence Kasdan. Yeah, he wrote The Big Chill. He's only a hack because he copied and pasted George Lucas's new Hope script for Force Awakens. It's an easy paycheck. Yeah, it's a little based.
2: I mean, it worked.
0: Until it didn't. I love Empire. It's a movie I've seen a billion trillion times.
2: Yeah, but your favorite Star Wars movie is Attack of the Clones, so... No, 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 no. The one
0: after it. But Grand Budapest, I, I, I mean, it has so much creativity, um the different characters. I love, uh, what's his name in it? I just sent a picture. Oh, Adrian Brody. Yes, Adrian Brody is awesome in this movie. I just, I feel like Adrian Brody deserves more love, just in general. He doesn't get enough of it. My first Adrian Brody movie was King Kong. What? You've
1: seen, you've seen Brody
0: Quest, right, Josh? (laughs) No, I haven't.
2: Okay, as soon as we're done recording, we're putting it on.
0: (laughs) Can we watch Life Aquatic instead?
2: Yeah, can I go see Bullet Train? Nope, we're watching Brody Quest.
0: <laughs> Alden just wants to see Bullet Bullet Train was very good. Can we get a vote here? I'm sticking with Empire.
2: Grand Budapest Hotel for me. Grand yeah, Budapest. I can't believe
0: I'm saying this, but Grand Budapest. Wild shit. <laughs> Nate was the only one who voted for that. <laughs> <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> we are heading over to the left side of the bracket. We've got Blazing Saddles versus Terminator.
1: Are we doing a 3-2-1? Gonna... I don't think we can speedrun this. <laughs>
0: Why not? Okay, fine. Blazing Saddles versus Terminator. Ready? Three, two, one. It's Blazing Saddles. Blazing Terminator. Saddles.
1: Wow. Was Nate right? Nate was right. Okay.
0: Okay. 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 Blazing Saddles. Um, Very good parody. I think very important for the time it came out and stuff. But at the end of the day, Terminator defined, defined a subgenre while Blazing Saddles killed a genre, which I have a lot of respect for. It's funny and based. But Terminator was such a pillar of not only Arnold Schwarzenegger's career, but time travel movies and just action things in general. Because without the Terminator, without Arnold Schwarzenegger, we wouldn't have like The Rock. Dave Bautista, these other action like stars, especially Dave Bautista, who I think's going through the same career path as Arnold, starting as a guy who didn't talk a lot in the movies, who is now doing great scenes in Blade Runner and other really cool scenes like Dave Bautista. I like like three years ago, if you told me he was he He's trying for like an Oscar, I think would be really, I thought that'd be really dumb, but this guy really cares about his craft, much like Arnold did after the Terminator movies. And I think being in a movie like the Terminator made Arnold uh, really like be particular about his uh, roles, at least in the 80s, not like right now, but back then, yes.
1: Also, similarly, Batista's taking some comedy roles that he's...
0: Same with Arnold, with, like, kindergarten cop and stuff.
2: Exactly. Uh, so I have a stretch here. So, Blazing Saddles, right? Um, Slim Pickens is in it, okay? You know what else Slim Pickens is in? Dr. Strangelove. Um, and in Dr. Strangelove, he rides a bomb out of a plane, waving his hat around like he's on a bull. Is that, that, that's it? That's it.
0: I know we've given a lot of, uh... Appreciation to Blazing Saddles for it killing the Western, but I think one thing that is important not to dispute uh, and not to discredit is it's a fantastic comedy on its own, even without the context of knowing the Western saturation and its historical significance. I mean, I don't think too many people could name you five other comedies from the 1970s that have held up and are as culturally significant still as Blazing Saddles. I think Blazing Saddles is a fantastic script. It's a fantastic piece of art. And it's like comedies in general aren't known for aging well. And a lot of times comedies get lost to time. They aren't um, talked about still. And Blazing Saddles has made it 50 years of being a fantastic comedy. <laughs> I do have a question, though. It's the fourth most iconic Gene Wilder performance, though. Fourth. Willy Wonka, Willy, Willy Wonka, Frankenstein. Uh, The Producers and then that. I think that this is more iconic than The Producers for sure, and probably Young Frankenstein as well, but I do think Gene Wilder's performance in Young Frankenstein is better than his performance in this, yes. Okay, okay. I just... (sighs) But I think The Producers is kind of out of the equation. The original version of that movie does not get much appreciation, and he's good in it, but I think he's better here. I really like The Original Producers as well as Young Frankenstein. I don't know. Blazing Saddles I think is very funny, but...
2: This is what I'll do. But it's for Bill Paxton. Um, I'll say Terminator.
0: All right. Terminator will be back. Up next, Beetlejuice versus Blade Runner.
2: It's a little tough, actually.
0: Not for me. This is a no-brainer. Let's go. Three, two, one. It's Blade Runner. Blade Runner. Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. Are you kidding me? A Beetlejuice, I would 100% turn on before Terminator, or not Terminator. Blade Runner. Are you kidding me?
2: Who cares?
0: Beetlejuice is so. Oh, then you were just praising this fucking movie. <laughs> okay. And? Beetlejuice. Okay.
2: You were just slandering this movie. I don't see your point here.
0: I love this movie. I have like multiple T. I have multiple T-shirts of this movie.
2: Yeah. So? I have a Captain Marvel t-shirt.
0: I also have a Blade Runner t-shirt, but I think it's 2049. The Tim Burton aesthetics in Beetlejuice, I think, elevate that movie beyond, like, what its story is and, like, what the script is. And I think the performances within it as well uh, kind of, like, take this, like, dark kind of spooky story that's a comedy and, like, it transcends everything that it's... On paper, Beetlejuice should be like a cult classic, but it's like an actual beloved movie that was a a pop culture mainstay. And I think that that's really unique. And I like Beetlejuice a lot for that. But beyond Tim Burton as a visionary and as a director, I don't think that there's anything in Beetlejuice that is as transcendent as the aesthetics, the music, and the emotion in Blade Runner. There's not a scene in Beetlejuice that is as emotionally strong as Tears in the Rain. But I feel like when it comes to I don't know. I feel like Beetlejuice is like on your like list of movies you're going to show like your family. Like I saw Beetlejuice very early on, like probably way too early, and just because my parents love that movie, like it is like a certified classic to them. I didn't see Blade Runner until college and maybe that's my parents fault for having shit taste but but beetlejuice to me like is it's so what i like about beetlejuice is that it's timeless like that movie could have like could be in any era any time frame like and everybody's going to get some kind of enjoyment out of it where blade runner i think is a a particular taste which i don't think is bad like i like i love the movie I said it's a masterpiece, and I do believe it's a masterpiece. But I, when I say movies are masterpieces, I don't also say they're perfect. Blade Runner does have a couple flaws. Beetlejuice does too, but Beetlejuice for me, like I don't know. I think of all the bits and the the lore in that movie. I just love when they when Alec Baldwin and whatever her name is die, and they have to like go to like pretty much a DMV of like the afterlife like all that is so fucking creative it's tough because Blade Runner is also creative but I think Beetlejuice like I don't know it's just more entertaining for me I latch on to characters in Beetlejuice more than I do in Blade Runner Roy Batty does have one of the greatest monologues in cinema but you know it's one scene like Blade or Beetlejuice I'm following them around the entire movie being entertained and uh my eyes are glued to the television, and I can't really say the same thing about Blade Runner until like very, very important
1: scenes. That is worth noting that I don't, um, I don't have the same emotional connection to the characters in Blade Runner as I do in Beetlejuice.
0: I think the most interesting thing that you said uh, Josh that kind of was like making me question my stance was the fact that like Beetlejuice is one of those movies that is like it's one to show your kids someday it's one to show your family someday and like that was the case in my household too that was like one of my parents favorite movies uh, when they were like you know probably close to my age now like as Gen Xers Beetlejuice was like a big thing for them and I, th- I think that's unique because it is such a um, it's such a one of a kind movie and my parents don't know, like, directors, but they know Tim Burton. They know Tim Burton and Spielberg. So it's high praise for the most casual audience to know the directors, and it's because of Beetlejuice. Right, but one thing that I think's really interesting in the contrary is that Blade Runner was a commercial misstep. It didn't make as much money as they were hoping, and it has garnered more appreciation over time from its cult audience to now... I feel like Blade Runner and its sequel 2049 are almost like pop culture mainstays. Like it. The movie was too ahead of its time. The movie was too much of a a change of pace. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's also a throwback to older Hollywood and older cinema being a noir and being a very true noir to it, despite its futuristic setting. So you say Blade Runner is too ahead of its time, but what happened with 2049? Like, why can't a Blade Runner movie make money? I think the problem with Blade Runner 2049 was that it's scope was too big like there's no reason that movie needed to have a 180 million dollar budget so they were fighting themselves by making it too big I think if they did something grittier and did something lower budget and did something more along the scope of the first Blade Runner and didn't push cinematography and technical aspects as far as they did, as impressive as they are. And as much as I love them, I think if it was about making money and about making a spiritual successor to a cult classic, it could have been scaled back and it could have been made for cheaper and could have been a commercial success. But I'm happy they didn't do that. And I'm happy they made a Blade Runner movie with an entire gigantic studio's budget because the fans care so much about blade runner and it's not like blade runner is one of those ips where people cosplay as the characters it's a fan it's like cinephiles love blade runner i do have another i do have another question are you going to play the blade runner game that just got on the switch it's the it's the cd rom game from 1998 right yeah it's like the point and click game apparently it's very good i've heard it's great i i don't know if i'll play it but maybe what do you what do you think sakula
1: um I don't know, I, I have heard a lot of compelling arguments for Blade Runner. Um, I do have to pick Beetlejuice still. I think that, I, I, like I said before, the, I have more emotional resonance with the characters in Beetlejuice. And there are there are uh, some pacing issues in the original Blade Runner, even in the the best cut that there is. There's some pacing issues where it really slows down, and yeah, like I, I'm not engaged with it. It's like the it's like the part of the movie where like I gotta get up and you know maybe grab a beverage or, a, or some a snack and like look at my phone for a second. Like and if that happens in a movie, then I don't think that and it doesn't happen in another movie at least for me. I think that one of them takes the edge because if I'm not engaged, then it's like well. Did it have to be there? Probably not.
0: Pacing in movies is tough. Like I just saw Bullet Train, and that movie is so fast-paced where even if I'm like bored, I can't keep my eyes off it because I feel like I'm going to miss something, and I don't know if that equals good pacing or bad pacing, but a movie like Blade Runner, it's so slow, but it's also so compelling, but sometimes I do fall off it, and maybe that's not the movie's fault exactly. Pacing in movies is just really weird. There's no, like, correct answer. I think a lot of the major pacing issues with Blade Runner come from the fact that it is trying to replicate a movie of yesteryear in its, like, uh, presentation. Like, I, I think the things that they do with the, the, you know, slower-paced scenes, like, the scenes that have the score underplaying it, it's just, icon- it's just as iconic as, as a, uh, like, a saxophone kind of jazzy ballad where, when you talk about, like, the love theme that it would be in a movie like Chinatown, or even going further back, something like the Maltese Falcon or or stuff like that. Like it leans into the aesthetics of the film that it's trying to replicate, and the films that it's trying to replicate, and does so in a way that is like elevating the movies of yesteryear. And I have a lot of appreciation from that as like a film history buff. I, I get that the pacing is not perfect. Like the original Blade Runner movie is probably a reason why 2049 was a a, a, a bomb as well because going back to it modern audiences aren't equipped for that slow burn um, and quieter kind of mystery like it's not like like the Batman might be a slow paced thriller in aspects but it's also like here's an action sequence, here's an action sequence, and they're split up in 20-minute intervals, whereas, like, Blade Runner starts with a strong setting, starts with a strong hook, you get an action scene, and then it's, like, an hour until the next one. And that's just not really what I think modern audiences are equipped for. I think Beetlejuice is probably, even though you were saying, Josh, it is, it's timeless, it's kind of, like, a perfect late 80s, early 90s movie. Um, I don't think it would exist in any other time frame, but I think its its pacing, its structure, and its humor are going to be beloved for generations down the line. So I, I'm starting to feel persuaded a little bit, unless Alden can really, really big brain me on why Blade Runner's better. I think Alden could persuade me if he gives me a really good take right now.
3: Uh, I'm
2: not prepared to speak.
0: <laughs> You're only a podcast host for 100 episodes.
2: <laughs> Yeah, how did we get this far? My work ethic, I
0: think. Or maybe my emotional uh, dependency on friends.
2: Either way, I think both of these movies have really good production design. I just appreciate the way that they made Blade Runner more. Uh, Not a knock against Beetlejuice at all. Incredible, but also just... I mean, that opening, like, pan? Yeah. What they had to construct and build, the opening sequence alone is such a like technical feat that I just it doesn't compare.
0: I'm surprised nobody's mentioned the shot of uh, Rachel. I think her name is smoking. Yeah, I mean I feel like that that shot alone is always talked about. I'm not a lesbian if you're asking me that. <laughs> I'm going to say it. Rachel, top 10 hottest movie characters of all time. Yes.
1: Mommy? Sorry. Mommy? Sorry.
0: <clears throat> Whenever Duel of the Takes returns, we'll make a top 10 list of characters we want to peg us, and it'll be uh, <laughs> be Rachel pretty high up
2: there. For Blade Runner to have the discussions that, it, that it's got, for it to have the theming, and uh, I guess still current cultural relevance um ignoring any sequels or anything just the different things even as broad as climate change depicted in a movie in the late 80s and it's still a present thing today like even if you do have an issue with its pacing you're still going to connect with this movie pretty well okay you're switching sides that was a good take
1: Woo! we got one now we're back already the
0: social network versus no country for old men three Two, one. It's the social network. The social network. Social network. Social network. A clean sweep. Sorry, Noah. Donnie Darko versus the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. Ready? Three, two, one. No, no, no. I want to have a discussion about the themes of this movie.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, I do want to start off with uh, this situation we're in currently. <laughs> do you think it caused the second spongebob movie to have time travel
0: donnie darko caused the second spongebob movie to have time travel
2: (laughs) no 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 no. us talking about donnie darko time travel movie against the spongebob squarepants movie a time traveler listening to this now or whenever doesn't matter in the future went back and had the second spongebob movie involve time travel
0: does the second spongebob movie involve
2: time travel yes i saw that movie in theaters and i don't remember it's quite a mess but i like it
0: I don't think we're culturally significant for a time traveler to go and do that. Um, But even if we do become culturally successful enough for that to be a thing, I uh, don't know if altering a SpongeBob movie's plot is a uh, good enough uh, solution.
2: I don't think it's a solution. I think it's just a gift to me. Okay. Thank you.
0: Um, I think everyone knows damn well I'm on the camp of Donnie Darko here, and I'm probably fighting this fight alone, because I know you guys grew up with SpongeBob,
2: and unfortunately I did not. I mean... Nah, we'll fight it. I like Donnie Darko a lot. Mm, Yeah. But I just, I don't think it flows anywhere close to as well as SpongeBob does.
0: Yeah. We were in discussion with Beetlejuice, which is like a movie that I feel like has this kind of like, I don't know what else to call it other than like the Hot Topic fan base. And maybe (laughs) that's what killed Tim Burton in its its own right. I think... um, It's all right. Wednesday's going to bring him back.
2: Yeah, man. I hope
0: so. (laughs) It's definitely going to bring Hot Topic back. I think that Donnie Darko kind of has that same kind of um, niche audience. Like, it resonates with, uh, like, the the goth crowd or the emo crowd quite a lot. Um, And it's definitely got that, like, uh, counterculture kind of bite throughout, especially when you're looking at him systemically taking down this um, uh, Patrick Swayze, like, (laughs) Predator slash like preacher type. Um, There's definitely like that that counterculture edge to it. But in a, a late 80s sense, as opposed to most most punk culture stuff being 70s centered or 60s centered, I think that Donnie Darko has really, really interesting concepts that are explained in really visually interesting ways, even if they are dated and then has a fantastic twist ending that is like something out of a Nolan movie in this kind of john hughes inspired coming of age story and it has so many different elements working in its favor but i mean soundtrack alone the aesthetics i like how many faces are in this movie that are people that went on to do bigger things like both Halls. but also like seth rogan plays a bully in this movie like that's kind of fucking funny you got a uh, drew barrymore on a comeback performance in this movie as his english teacher Um, Patrick Swayze, who kind of wasn't in a lot around this time and unfortunately passed soonishly thereafter. Like, there's a lot of faces in this movie, and um, I I appreciate Donnie Darko for its scale and its scope. I think SpongeBob movie is the definition of like a fun popcorn blockbuster for the whole family, and it's hard to argue against. Um, It is such a beloved IP, and it is such a important main staple within that beloved IP, but just like we were saying with like the cult following of Blade Runner allowing it to transcend, this cult classic Donnie Darko love is not going to go away. I think that this is still going to go down as like some people's favorite
1: movie of all time. One of these movies has Goofy Goober Rock.
0: <clears throat> Donnie Darko.
1: Donnie Darko does have Ashley Tisdale.
0: He wakes up on the golf course and he's like, ah! Uh, Alden, I have a question. Oh, no. So, um, Jake Gyllenhaal or uh, Scarlett Johansson, who would you take to a uh, a lovely evening on the Outer Banks?
2: Uh, um... Gyllenhaal. Where are you going with this? Yeah, Gyllenhaal. I'm, sw- I'm swaying him, Nate. I,
0: I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh- <laughs> I'm just flabbergasted that Alden would pick Jake Gyllenhaal. I'd be worried he's gonna, like, kill me or push me off of a pontoon boat or something.
2: Well, that would be the interesting part, though. I feel like it'd be kind of boring with ScarJo. That's that's part of the
1: thrill.
0: ScarJo would just show you the script to the next movie she's gonna get, like, shit on for.
1: Ghost in the Shell 2. Um, I'm swayed to Donnie Darko purely because, um... I I think you're right. It has more staying power. And then also, you have Lilo from Lilo and Stitch.
2: You have Ashley Tisdale. You have Jerry Trainor here.
0: I just don't know any emotion Donnie Darko gives me is as powerful as uh, Plankton taking over the Krusty Krab. That's a a lot of television buildup. Yeah. We made it, Patrick. We made it. Shell City. My my cousin, who uh, was like 10 years older than me, she, uh, of course, like Spongebob is like her favorite television show of all time. So she saw, she saw the movie in theaters. And uh, at the time, she's like 20 something years old. And uh, she's like her. She is like crying when they're singing Goofy Goober. And they're they're all getting um, they're all getting like warm. Yeah, dehydrated. And uh, she's just bawling her eyes out. Like, I don't, I don't think there's any emotion Donnie Darko gives me than that moment. That is, that is years of build-up. I mean, maybe it's the Smiths fan in me, but the concept of knowing that you have to stay in your bedroom and get crushed by a, a plane crash in order to save the timeline is something that I resonate with heavily. If I attended math class on time and didn't take Trevor to the airport, I would have been Donnie Darko. <laughs> oh
1: my god. Jesus.
0: I would have stayed in the film degree. I would not be... Uh, not having a sports job right now. So is it still two to two? Uh, I'm on Donnie Darko. I persuaded one person. Yeah, I think you're my friend on the Donnie Darko side of this argument. You're the bunny.
1: The thing is, uh, you know, I've been swayed. I think Donnie Darko has more staying power, not only uh, just in general, but also on this list. I think it it has more that it can go up against, whereas Spongebob... I don't know. Spongebob
2: is like a contender to win this whole damn thing. I'm trying to upset it early. (laughs) It's the Golden State Warriors. I have one question. What is the bunny's name? I
1: don't know. We've tried to Nate has come over and we've tried to watch this movie a couple times. I haven't been able to finish Donnie Darko. The
0: theory, the theory videos on Donnie Darko is great and all, but nothing beats a good SpongeBob theory. That's all I'm saying.
2: That's true. His name is and Frank. And there's so many. His name is Frank. <laughs> we got anything else? <laughs> yeah, Hasselhoff.
0: David Hasselhoff. Yeah, but Patrick Swayze.
2: Yeah, but Patrick Swayze didn't have a prosthetic double that sold for over $300,000. Listen, Nate,
0: if we were talking about Point Break, this shit would win the bracket, but... (laughs) Notice how no one's favorite movie is Point Break, Josh. Me, I'm the Point Break favorite movie.
2: Well, maybe you should have been a guest rather than a host.
0: There's a timeline where I just just leave. I leave after the A24 tournament, and I am just a guest. All right, on the right side of the bracket, we got La La Land versus Mean Girls. La La Land. Mean Girls. (laughs) It's Mean Girls. Yeah, Mean Girls. I, I was going to fight La, La Land, but I'm, I'm not strong enough. Alrighty, The Mummy versus Ghost in the Shell. Three, two, one. It's The Mummy.
2: The Mummy. Ghost in the Shell. The Mummy.
0: <laughs> all right, Alden. I want to hear it because I love both of these movies a lot, and I think I like Ghost in the Shell more, but I mean, The Mummy is one of the most watchable movies of all time.
2: <laughs> it's making me want to order Taco Bell. Like, yeah, I agree, but that kind of comes down to only it being just an action movie. Like, it's a great action movie, don't get me wrong, but action movies tend to be just more put on and watched than. These are both action
0: movies. There's so many action scenes in Ghost in the Shell for a 95 minute long animated movie.
2: Yeah. So they're both action movies. Yeah. One of these has a lot more depth. One of them has Brendan Fraser.
0: Yeah, one of them was my Bi Awakening. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Not Looney Tunes back in action? No, it was probably The Mummy first. <laughs>
0: Brendan Fraser's, like, side bangy things thing he's got going on with his hair is one of the most iconic hairstyles of the 90s and 2000s maybe the best middle part in film history is this on the mount rushmore of middle parts <laughs> yes yeah what else is up there like fucking just johnny depp in general yeah i guess leo and titanic yep leonardo DiCaprio in the titanic uh who would be the fourth all right no we got this um not tom cruise in mission impossible 2 i refuse Absolutely not. Because he hasn't had it since, so he knows it's bad. Here's a hot take. It might be Timothy Chalamet and Ladybird. Yeah, that's not a bad option. That dude was like the definition of the uh, the middle part revival.
2: No, hold on. Drew Barrymore has a middle part in Charlie's Angels.
0: Yeah, but I think we were exclusively talking about it on men. Men 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 the men. Men. men,
1: men. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Wait, it could be Ashton Kutcher. Speaking of men. No. No, no. Ashton Kutcher's got more of the bang.
2: Bang, so he doesn't
0: really part it. Okay, so is it the mummy here?
2: Yeah, it was three to one. I don't even know why I was giving an argument.
0: All right, Avengers Infinity War versus the Grand Budapest Hotel. Ready? Three, two... Wait, no, 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 no. Sikula, why Infinity War?
1: Ah! <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> damn it, I got a slander. I think that Infinity War uh, is... One, it's definitely like, it surprised me how much I liked it. I've watched it more than um, probably any superhero movie ever. I love the fact that the fucking heroes lose. I love that it's like, it's not even a super, it's like not even their movie. It's Thanos' movie. That shit gets me. It's cool
2: as fuck. I mean, counterpoint, there were no stakes. We already knew there was gonna be a part two. Like, none of it was a surprise that they lose. That was just a guarantee.
0: If all the original Avengers got snapped, I would have been more like, oh shit. If I had a stake right now, oh boy, I'd fuck it. Yeah, the fact that we didn't have a guess for The Lighthouse isn't anyone's favorite movie. Little sus. True. Yeah, what's up with that? Infinity War was the Adam pick. Yeah. The Adam Project pick. <laughs> I think I'm on Grand Budapest on this one, just from like just from a film appreciation standpoint. I think the Grand Budapest does a really good thing with like placing itself within history, but it not feeling like specific at all, and it feels like a blend between a fairy tale and like real life. And it, I think Wes Anderson captures that perfectly. Avengers: Infinity War is a really effective uh, movie as like a middle part in a in a franchise and as like a a middle chapter but just because the fact that another avengers movie was greenlit and right around the corner it does undermine everything that this movie does right um but i love the characterization of thanos and i agree with you john that like they get the villain right and that's something that marvel does not do very often and it deserves a fuck ton of praise for it um i just think that there's so many characters within this movie because it is such a broad ensemble movie where they don't feel like the same versions of themselves when we when we last saw them. And that's my biggest problem with the MCU is whenever there's a team up, these characters and the arcs and the things that they're going through don't chronologically add up and don't make a ton of sense.
1: That's fair. That's fair. I can overlook that, though, um, a lot of the time, just because the actors, like, they 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 do that thing where like they mold the character to themselves, so it's less like they're tr- they're they're less acting outside of their they're acting within their comfort zone basically. Like the Winter Soldier is Sebastian Stan, but being uh you know a little grimacy. Tony Stark is just Robert Downey Jr. They're the same person. Chris Evans is Captain America. Like you know what I mean? Like they they mold the character to themselves, so I, it doesn't bother me that much because they fall right into the role so quickly.
0: I know we hate this argument, but if we talk about cultural relevance this uh movie infinity war was memed to shit like uh, every line was almost memed it it is a very um reminiscent movie
1: and there's honestly just the other thing is like there's never been anything like this like it's it's truly a feat like a like a
0: And it probably will never happen, at least in our lifetime, because I feel like the cinematic universe thing is kind of going down. Now it's all multiverse, I guess. That's the next trend.
1: Yeah, the next two Avengers movies are uh, Secret Wars and Kang Dynasty, which is all multiverse stuff. I don't know. I I think that it's it's worthy of, like, standing above the rest. That being said, you know, uh, Grand Budapest is a movie that every single human being on planet Earth could love. Um, It's not a... uh, like there's, it's so appealing. I don't know. I, I, I could see this going either way. I will say though, whatever goes next needs to have a lot of staying power because it's going to go up against some Titans here very shortly.
0: Uh, one question then for those on the Infinity War side of this argument, why isn't it widely appreciated as the best MCU movie then? Is it not? I mean, I think it is. I mean, the context of this movie being on the bracket is that Adam wanted an MCU movie, but didn't know which one, so I just said Infinity War, and he was like, yeah, that's fair. I feel like that's the overall... Is is this, like, the most, like, beloved one? Like, by, like, the fans? By the people who care about the MCU? Yeah, I think it is. I feel like there's a lot of people who praise this movie as, like, just a really solid movie, and, like, because when I... When Infinity War first came out, and I was one of the haters, I guess, I got a lot of flack for it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can't think of another one that people more broadly love.
0: Literally every other Marvel movie that has come out that I've hated on, like, I haven't gotten as much flack as I did when I didn't like
1: Infinity War. The only other ones that stand on this level are, like... The first Avengers, the first Iron Man... And Winter Soldier. Yeah, other than that, like every other one, you can find somebody
2: who's like, eh. People do not like Winter Soldier. I've had random, like, I get in conversations with people I don't know about the MCU because it's the only thing people care about, still. And people do not like Winter Soldier. They don't like the first Captain America. They like the first Iron Man.
1: People like Nicholas Foreman do exist. Who does, if somebody doesn't like the first Avengers movie, I need you to direct them at me so that way I can, uh. Go watch the trailer. The trailer is really bad. Yeah, it didn't age well.
2: No, but I think, like, the most universally accepted as one of the best, not necessarily the best, but one of the most liked is Black Panther. And I think Endgame is a more popular MCU movie than Infinity War think people still like the conclusion of the heroes winning
0: i don't know but i think like thanos snapping and like all of those references like all the thanos quotes like i don't know i feel like infinity war that was such an interesting time in the mcu and just in like movie culture
2: it was the peak like there were two years where they just had a a huge audience i don't think that it's as um I guess popular as you're saying it is.
0: I, I'm playing devil's advocate. I'm voting Grand Budapest. I'm just trying to make a debate out of it. <laughs> Let's everyone, uh, everyone stake your claim. Josh, you said you're on Grand Budapest. I I think so. Alden, you sticking with Grand Budapest? Yeah. All right. Well, I've officially swapped sides. I'm going heel. I think it's Infinity War time. Okay, then I'll go heel too. I've I've joined. I've joined the undisputed era.
2: Whoa, 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 whoa! Infinity War doesn't have Shang Chi. Why are we just killing Alden? <laughs> Fuck you,
1: Alden. We've had two pity rounds. I'm
0: sorry, Alden. I didn't think it was going to go that way. I knew it was. Infinity War also gets a bye, so... (laughs) Infinity War's the final four. (laughs) Alden just quit. That's it. It's the three of us now. Alrighty. Up next, we've got Terminator versus Blade Runner. Two of the best science fiction movies of the 1980s going head-to-head for a spot in the final four. All right, Alden. This is where we really disagree. This is our civil war.
1: So just to be clear, Alden is definitely fighting for Blade Runner and you're fighting for Terminator. And I'm on the
0: side of Blade Runner as well, I think. I could be persuaded.
1: No, you can't. I think that Terminator's a
0: tighter movie. Ah, yeah, definitely. Definitely a better paced and tighter movie. (laughs) I just care about the fundamentals of Terminator more. Like, I care about more what's happening after. Blade Runner 2049 didn't have to fucking exist, and that's completely fine. Yeah. Yeah. I agree.
2: Whoa, whoa, whoa.
0: Which is a positive and a negative, but Terminator, like, creates this really interesting universe that I, even if the movies are dog shit, I want to keep learning about.
2: No, you're just stuck in a consumer cycle. It doesn't matter about the actual property. No, 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 no.
0: (laughs) Don't talk about consumerism. All you and Perulski do is watch IPs. Consumerism. You watched At World's End how many times?
2: And Outworld's End is better than Terminator, but here we are. It's not! It's not even close! That's not even true! <laughs> yes.
0: Um, okay. So, both of these movies have really interesting, like, concepts uh, brought up. And one of them is more of a focal point within it. And the other, it's, like, the glaze that carries us into Terminator becoming a franchise. And that is, like, the concept of AI becoming self-aware. It focuses specifically on that like concept of artificial intelligence becoming self aware and is not really a noir at all at all. It it's more of like an esoteric kind of thought piece and I think that Blade Runner takes that concept and stretches it out into a narrative that is extremely in- enjoyable to watch and you you kind of fall in love and find that the replicants are more humans after all than the humans themselves in this movie and terminator has like underlying themes of what the future could look like with ai but i don't think that those themes really get addressed and are a focus point for the franchise until the next movie but i feel like that's for the negative the scene in terminator 2 where like the fucking uh they arnold shows his like metal arm to the black guy and then he's gonna explain like
1: miles dyson you racist
0: <laughs> and then he's gonna explain the entirety of the thing I'm like I I, I I no I don't care now this is too much that's why I like the first Terminator movie
1: yeah, it gives you a very simple premise it's like here's what's going on chew on this and then if you're you want to draw any kind of like uh conclusions or or, or lore it's left it's like because it is a horror movie yeah so all that's left to your imagination it's like what you don't show like you're not seeing the shark
0: like the terminator was definitely set up at least in the first movie to be like almost like a slasher villain and then it turns into this action franchise which i think was a detriment to the franchise which is why i don't like terminator 2 as much because you have the perilski and the Knicks of the world that will go nuts over these action movie terminator stuff but that wasn't the premise of it well, then I don't think it does enough with that that theming to warrant this being a truly scary movie, because I think even within the first Terminator movie, it starts as a thriller and becomes more of an action movie as it pays off and as they're getting rid of the T-800. I found it pretty scary when I first watched it. Like, Sakula and I were talking about earlier with, like, how when it's, like, in its skeleton form or whatever, the way it walks is weird. Like... It feels like a scary threat until literally the very end of the movie when they finally kill it
1: and all All slasher movie villains do that thing where like the first part the most the, the majority of the beginning of it is all like Like horror and like what's going on? There's this unstoppable force and then they always turn into some kind of action movie by the end of it because once you lift the veil and you're like We know what's going on it. Ha- that's the only place it can go The the the, I think the the mistake that Josh is saying with the previous movies is that there's no pretense of horror in any of the rest of them. Like, and that's in Terminator 2, that works, but like. It shouldn't- that shouldn't be the norm. That should have been the cool follow-up, and then we go back. Yeah, the horror roots, definitely. I also genuinely thought it was scary the first time I watched it. I was, like, put on edge. That that
0: parking garage scene? I'm like, holy shit, this would be terrifying if this happened to me.
1: Or where uh, where he literally punches a fucking hole through that guy? I'm like, this is- think about it. Like, your slasher villains have, like, knife hands or a machete, and this guy- it's just a naked man. He's- like, that is- Truly unsettling. Alden, (laughs) I need some help here.
2: It's been said. You guys kind of mentioned it a little bit, like... Whose
0: favorite movie is The Terminator? Uh, The Terminator, that's Nicholas Alexander. Wow, thank you, Nick. Even though I just shit on you about your Terminator 2 take. You're based, actually. Andrew Perkins' favorite movie is Blade Runner. Oh,
2: yeah. Based.
0: Alden, so you're siding with the British. What's going on here?
2: You fucking... Traitor. Technically, I'm siding with French Canadians and Denis uh, Villeneuve.
0: (laughs) The French Canadian got eliminated a long time ago.
2: I'm saying the director for 2049, but yeah. Either way. How do you have this, one, they're very close together in terms of release date, and two, how do you have such a a great uh, springboard of a concept to make great movies from and you just end up with Terminator? Like, you've got two good movies out of it and then the rest... What what happened? We're talking about the first one, but you don't go into any detail about it. You don't have any like complex uh, Really anything. It's just an action movie
0: The Terminator should have just been those two movies and then rise of the machines came out and had the most awkward ending I've ever seen in a blockbuster.
2: I haven't seen it I don't think I'm going to I can't say that Perelski'll make me watch it.
0: I don't know. I, I like the world of Blade Runner a whole lot more like I think the production design and the like cinematography lend this like futuristic version of Los Angeles to I feel like that's not fair though because the Terminator is just supposed to be our world okay but like I'm supposed to compare elements of one movie against the other I think the production design of Blade Runner is far and away better than the production design of Terminator but the one flashback we get of the Terminator is sick it is pretty cool it's short, but it's 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 enough to be like, oh, fuck, the future is is scoffed. <laughs> like, it's, it's enough. It's, it's enough to to sell you on the concept. I agree. Just from an aesthetic standpoint, like the amount that Blade Runner has contributed to pop culture is insane. Like the whole cyberpunk aesthetic, the whole uh, like a lot of. Like, I'm not an anime guy. I like Ghost in the Shell, but that's a lot of Japanese uh, animation owes tribute to Blade Runner for its, its world building and for its central conceit of what the near to distant future looks like. I don't think that Terminator does anything interesting with its world in this first movie. I think all of that comes in the second movie. Broad scale concept and world building. One of these movies does both a lot better. The other one does action and and suspense better. And for me, I don't go to Blade Runner for suspense. When The, f- when the first time I watched that movie, I got hooked in the mystery. And I wanted to figure out where yeah. these, where these uh, other replicants are. And then every subsequent subsequent rewatch, I'm there for the aesthetics. I'm there for the texture of the film. The cinematography, the way that light bounces off of characters' eyes. What exactly is the mystery of Blade Runner? The mystery of the Blade Runner is trying to find the five rogue replicants. That's what that's what Harrison Ford is tracked down to do, is to But we know the main one is Roy Batty from the very beginning. Yeah, but he has to find him. That's not much of a mystery though, that's more of like a, I don't know, crime fighting. Hide and seek. I'm not saying it's bad, but I never saw it as a mystery.
2: Yeah, well the whole story is not about necessarily the mystery, it's about the humanity of the replicants. They have fake memories, they never lived any of their lives, yet you still question the humanity of them. Like, that's not something you have in Terminator. You you don't question the humanity of any of the AI or anything. Like it's just oh they are conscious and want to kill all humans that's cool that's scary but who cares I care me the replicants just want to live their lives I feel
0: like I feel like the idea of like a uh, robot war or whatever you want to call it um, is at least like at the time in the eighties made a lot more sense to the public than what blade runner was trying to get at controversial question josh i've been watching a lot of the rewatchables recently or listening i should say they have a great terminator episode Dreamcasting couch who are you replacing kyle reese with because i I don't think he's a good enough lead for this movie uh so so in the 80s right I I, that's my main problem with Terminator is I don't really like Kyle Reese as a character I think he needed to be a stronger leading man let's go with um oh what year did Terminator come out like 1984 okay so early 80s and Blade Runner predates it by two years in 1982 if anyone was wondering Honestly, fuck it. Let's make Harrison Ford it. I could see I could see Harrison Ford playing like a robot <laughs> war veteran it goes back in time Fuck it.
2: I don't like that. I was gonna say the same thing
1: the The guy who plays Kyle Reese in
2: the Terminator as it
1: is uh,
0: Michael Michael Bean Harrison Ford would Harrison Ford would bring more charisma to
1: the role But I don't I don't like him because he's got charisma I like him because he actually seems like he gives a shit and he's also fucking terrified. I don't think Harrison, Harrison Ford plays it too cool for that. What about Danny Glover?
0: I think Harrison Ford would have persuaded me to buy the romance between them more. That is the one fault I have in Terminator. That's fair. Yeah, but it doesn't feel like it's romance for the sake of, like, romance. It feels like Kyle Reese is on a mission. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, no, on, no, it does. I feel like that
0: this is like a perfect Ryan Gosling role, but he wasn't acting then so
1: now that's that would have been a good one
0: i'm trying to think it was the 80s version of Ryan gosling (laughs) um mel gibson actually not a bad choice at all i think mel gibson would have been a fucking great choice yeah the more I, th- the more I think about it, the more I
1: choose Mel Gibson. That's not a bad choice.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I just think that like one of the main characters of this movie not really landing for me from a motivation standpoint. Like I mean, like on paper I get it, but I don't feel it in the performance. I don't know. I just don't think Michael Bean's that great in this movie. Like I think every major supporting character in Blade Runner gives a better performance or at least a more memorable performance. Especially Rutger Hauer. I mean. If we go line for line and blow for blow, like he's just as menacing and just as scary as the Terminator. The scene where he's fucking up Deckard in the abandoned apartment complex, it's just as good as any scene in Terminator, in my opinion. The first
1: Terminator, at least. What about J. Michael Vincent? Fantastic. Because he has that same like, that same like on a mission, but a little more charisma, you know?
0: Like Blade Runner is just a tier above Terminator as a, as a film. I think as an action movie or as, like, a movie, like, Terminator, yeah, it, it's great, and I love that movie, and I watch that movie over and over again, but everything about the technical aspects of the movie,
1: Blade Runner is far and away superior. I'm, I'm willing to, I'm willing to concede this one. I can see it. I get it. Now you're swaying, Sakula? Yeah, yeah, I kind of get it. I, I, I don't agree, per se, but I get it. I just, feel
0: season, I just feel season one energy right now where it's just persuading Nate. <laughs> and
1: I I need more fights, people. Because they're so close that I guess I, I want Terminator to move on because I...
0: That's it. Infinity War's winning this bracket now. It's Alden's fault.
1: <laughs> uh, I hope not. This is what you did, Alden.
0: Up next, we've got The Social Network versus SpongeBob SquarePants the movie. <laughs> the Social well, Network? on SpongeBob. It's SpongeBob. Well, like, I think The Social Network's the better made movie. Yes. No.
1: Yes. No. SpongeBob. Come, Josh. Come to the dark side.
0: At least in our top five David Fincher movies, they were better than the SpongeBob movie. You know how old I was the first time I watched the SpongeBob SquarePants movie? Probably like 22. That's not our fault. I was 12, and I loved that movie, not watching most of SpongeBob. I was the same age I was when I watched the social network for the same time. I watched these movies probably within a month of each other.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And so that's why Nate is voting for SpongeBob.
0: I want to stick with the social network here just because I think it is a really technically well-made movie, and it's captivating. I think it's interesting, too, that when this movie was made, Facebook was still a baby of a beast that it's become in today's landscape.
2: Yeah, now it's the lead in our dystopian society. Like, it didn't do anything socially. It's
0: interesting to me that Zuckerberg actively does not like his portrayal in this movie because his character is a sociopath. He <laughs> But since then, has doubled down on the sociopathic tendencies and now thinks we need to live in his terrible Fortnite ripoff. <laughs> <laughs> I think that we need a sequel to The Social Network, and the only way that's going to happen is if fans are vocal about that shit get Aaron Sorkin back on board I want him to dissect the current media uh, landscape that we are in now because of Facebook. It's rigged elections in multiple countries it has changed the way society works and that to me is captivating we need a, need a, a psychological and dramatic domestic thriller as a follow up to the social
1: network. What is the title? I'm thinking the metaverse. No. <laughs>
0: Depends if the metaverse actually works.
1: I just want
0: the same caliber of filmmaking at play here instead of Adam McKay doing it. And this is someone who loves Don't Look Up. David Fincher, get off your ass. Aaron Sorkin, I mean, do your thing. Churn up some neoliberal bullshit. All the everyone that's in this movie, besides maybe Army Hammer, would come back.
1: <laughs>
2: oh, for sure
0: like there's no way they wouldn't this is jesse eisenberg's best role by like a wide margin
1: it's
2: not now you see me too
0: and andrew garfield's open to working like five movies a year
1: should jesse eisenberg come back and do his mark zuckerberg from this movie or should he try and uh, affix like his his current manner of like speaking and talking
0: he's grilling since the inception of this movie like zuckerberg has changed eisenberg would have to change with that like, now he's like, oh, he, now he just seems like a robot. Like, yeah, he was a, kind of like a robot, but he was a robot in terms of like the guy that's really smart and doesn't feel a lot of emotions. Now he's a robot in terms of like he's putting on a facade to have a lot of emotions and still doesn't have them. We've seen this man drink water, it doesn't look human.
1: We've seen him grilling.
0: We need a Blade Runner <laughs> that is social network too. <laughs> Okay, I'm voting social network. Fine.
1: Alden, defend fucking Spongebob. I'm giving a shit take here. I want to, I want SpongeBob. I I was on Spongebob's side.
2: This is 2v2 here. I that's not a shit take. Alden, I have a
0: question. Do you think the SpongeBob movie is going to have the staying power of say like um, other animated movies. Like, are you going to show, like, if you have kids, will you show your kids this?
1: A hundred percent.
0: Of course. I would show my kids the SpongeBob SquarePants movie.
2: I own a physical copy of one of these movies. But do you think the next generation will get
0: the same effect as us who, like, watch the other seasons in that?
2: Yes. Yeah. I mean, if Nate was barely able to watch SpongeBob through his whole childhood and saw this movie and still liked Loved it. He's not the only person I know that was in the same... like a lot of people were not allowed to watch spongebob and ended up seeing this movie at some point and loved it like it's not you don't need the rest of the show it's nice to have but it's not like anything is canon with each other like it would just be a nostalgia thing for us where it would be a whole new movie for them and i think it would hold its own just fine i gotta say one of my favorite
1: like scenes um just in general is the the dream spongebob has in the beginning yeah (laughs) that's so good, the comedic timing is like so perfect, you got a family (laughs) phil, think about that family. What is he putting pickles on the burger or something?
0: Uh, cheese. I'm the manager of this establishment. What do we not like about the Spongebob Squarepants movie, because I can dissect it a little bit. It's not longer. Mm, I think pacing's in its favor, I wouldn't make it any longer. Honestly. Not sure how I feel about King Neptune. I was going to say the same thing about Dennis.
2: Yeah, I was thinking Dennis is kind of the only issue I have, and it's not much of one. I don't know. King Neptune kind of comes off as a dumbass for Neptune. Well, he's one of, like, four Neptunes, so I don't really know if that's a problem.
0: Yeah, there's, like, a whole theory on it that the King Neptune is not actually King Neptune in this movie, but we're not going to dive into that right now. Well, then
2: who is Mendy?
0: They're all actors, apparently. Okay. Wait, so is this like a Super Mario Bros. 3 thing where the SpongeBob SquarePants movie is a movie within the context of SpongeBob? Well, it is. Well, the theory is that the entirety of Spongebob is a documentary, and they wanted something more interesting, so they brought in a fake King Neptune, and that's the Spongebob movie.
2: Okay, I haven't heard that before, but yes, Nate, canonically, the Spongebob movie is a canon movie inside Spongebob because the pirates go and see it. Right. And Spongebob exists in our world.
0: Yeah, but Patchy's always the biggest fan of Spongebob, so... But he never meets
1: Spongebob. So the, the real, the Spongebob show is supposed to take place in our real
0: life and is, and is a documentary. Yes. Right, right. I, I, I can wrap my head around that. But then Patchy's also supposed to be in real life. Yes, he's Spongebob's biggest fan. And he's just a fan of this documentary.
1: Mm-hmm. And then the Spongebob movie is like a dramatization of what happens but if
0: you want to go in deeper patchy is actually the ghost of the flying dutchman and there's a lot of time travel into this that patchy is actually the same as the flying dutchman and he goes back in time to actually like interact with spongebob and that's why that's why he's so obsessed with spongebob the the captain of the flying dutchman whatever his name is davy jones
2: he is the flying dutchman yeah it's not the ship it's the character and and spongebob canon
0: But that's why he's so obsessed with Spongebob, because it's patchy. I didn't know the lore ran this deep.
1: I think we killed Nate.
0: (laughs) Do we have that much lore with Facebook? We need to. <laughs> I think that like one thing that the social network does really really right beyond its technical achievements like I think that everything from the sound mixing to the shot composition like it's a really really well made drama movie the score we've talked about is is one of the best of this era of cinema but I think what it gets really really right is this concept of people all working together on a project but then uh, having differences whether it be financial and like life responsibilities and then like like devotion and the fact that like zuck takes the uh idea that was presented to him from the winklevoss twins and then they sue him but then you also have the friendship he has with andrew garfield's character of of actually building this thing and he undermines him as well like He's undermining that guy for a different reason than he's undermining the Winklevoss twins. And it all goes full circle and follows the boom of this new type of technology. Like, even when this movie was coming out in 2010, it was, what, three years after Facebook really had its first boom? And no one understood the ramifications of everything that was going on within the plot of this movie and real life simultaneously. This movie is such a good time capsule for the birth of social media. And it's going to age extremely well because of that, because this movie was made when it was made. If you made this movie now, like I I want a follow-up to this now, it's an entirely different story. It's an entirely different movie because we've seen the results of the foundation of Facebook versus the boom and demise of society due to Facebook.
1: I mean, you make a solid point. So,
0: like, in a way, this movie's way ahead of its time, but also almost serves the same purpose as a documentary. Like, this is going to be studied in history classes down the line. In the same way that a movie like JFK or All the President's Men... Or that I watched in history class. You know, all of that shit is working as a substitute for real history, and this is going to be a substitute and an allegory for real history as well down the line. Maybe. It's already aged quite significantly, though. It's only aged because of how much bigger Facebook has become. The origin story of Facebook hasn't deviated much from this fictional recreation of it. That's true. And this came out at just the right time where we had no idea how big of a societal change social media was going to be. It was right before it really started to show, I think. It should have won Best Picture. Fuck The King's Speech.
2: Okay. Yeah,
0: I like The King's Speech as well. But yeah, this is a better movie. And this is a way more historically significant movie. But, Spongebob. So, we've obviously praised a lot of early 2000s animated movies on this show. Most notably, Shrek. And Looney Tunes back in action. Yes. I think SpongeBob SquarePants, the movie, might age better than all of them. I'm not gonna lie. I agree. I agree. Because SpongeBob itself is timeless, and a lot of the humor is like stuff we were talking about in our SpongeBob episode. It's stuff that's not inherently relatable to kids because the show doesn't talk down to its audience. I think this movie does talk down to its audience a little bit
2: more than the show. I think it's more of a commentary on the character. The Looney Tunes should be
0: timeless, but we keep shoving them into things that won't be timeless. Like
1: LeBron James.
2: <laughs>
0: we keep shoving Whoa. the Looney Tunes <laughs> into LeBron James. <laughs> Porky, get in there!
1: <laughs> Side note: I love how in multiverses it's like you've got all these like cartoon characters,
2: and then there's just LeBron James. No, the whole thing about the SpongeBob movie, like it, it may seem it's talking down to its audience, but also, the whole thing is that he's childish, but he's not a kid like nobody gives him respect because of I guess the way he acts which isn't I don't know.
0: I like that there's not an abundance of pop culture references. I feel like the cheapest thing that a lot of children's comedies do or family-focused comedies do is fill themselves with pop culture references. And as much as I love the Shrek movies... (laughs) Shrek (laughs) 2! Shrek 2 is dated to the early 2000s and will always be dated to the early 2000s, which is why we are the generation that is probably most in love with Shrek 2, and it's all downhill from here. I think SpongeBob can stand out. And the fact that it's like a traditional, a traditionally animated two D movie, it's the last of its kind of a great comedy in this in this format. I think that the SpongeBob SquarePants the movie is going to age extremely well indefinitely
1: I, I like how one of the only uh pop culture references they have is to something that the kids are not going to understand with david hasselhoff
0: which we didn't understand that as kids either I, none of us watched baywatch hooray all right so i've argued for both sides of this what the fuck is going on this is duel of the nates wake up people
1: <laughs> i feel like we've said all that there is to be said at this point i'm i'm, I'm we're at an impasse because i don't want to budge
0: on spongebob Oh, I'm not budging on SpongeBob. I was about to say, I think it's three to one. Up next, it's Mean Girls versus The Mummy. I would argue two perfect movies.
1: <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Which is better? I think one of them is a little perfecter, and it, and it's The Mummy. In the case that wasn't clear. <laughs> no, it's Mean Girls.
0: <laughs> no. Uh it might be Mean Girls.
1: I think that the visual effects they do on Emotep and the way that they get him to like decay and like get all gross and stuff they actually used a lot of practical stuff in, alongside like early CG and I think that that's really commendable. It looks really really good and it- The thing
0: with the mummy is that like it is very significant to feature films, but people don't know that it is significant. With Mean Girls Everyone knows it's significant. So that's probably the impulse I'm at right now. Yeah, but Mean Girls is just watered down, less stylistically interesting Heathers. And I love Heathers.
2: Uh, you're probably right. No, hold on.
0: And I think one thing that Mean Girls does a little bit better is I think that they introduce offshoots of popular culture in a better way. Meaning you have characters that are more realistic and more believable high schoolers. Than, uh, you know, broader strokes. Eighties interpretation of high school. Unfortunately, post school shooting. High school. Mean Girls feels a little bit more believable. Um, especially with the two the two friend characters. I forget their names, but uh, the two Lindsay Lohan friend characters. Like they both feel like actual LGBT representation in a high school. (laughs) And Heather's is kind of homophobic in scenes. Based. No, I'm kidding. Please don't. Please don't keep that.
2: I'm keeping that. It's uh, Janice and Damien, right? I like the scene where Janice drops
0: the pipe bomb because uh, Lindsay Lohan's too scared to. I like that in the gymnasium when everyone's trust falling. It's a great scene. The pacing of Mean Girls is damn near perfect. The movie's like 95 minutes long and it just goes like... I've rewatched it relatively recently for the first time in maybe like five or six years, and I just forgot how quickly it moves through all of the memorable things about it. The Mummy has obviously a broader scale and is a great adventure movie, but I think it's really cool that they do like the seven plagues and stuff like that. Like there's a lot of really cool set pieces in The Mummy that make it really rewatchable beyond just them getting to the mummy and then the mummy's curse revealing itself. They're both fantastic, and they're both time capsules of what movies used to be, and I miss them.
1: Yeah, each and each one of these is a movie that you could just throw on and enjoy at any time, of the, at any, any day. Perfect movies to walk in the middle of, too.
2: You know what I keep forgetting, though? Mean Girls and The Notebook came out the same year. <sighs> I think we're voting Mean Girls here, right? I
1: am. I've been swayed to Mead Girls. I, I, uh, I have a lot of love and appreciation for The Mummy because, like, it's one of those movies that came out at that time where, like, visual effects were starting to transition from practical exclusively to, like, CG. And they managed to blend it really well in such a way that, like, even now, it doesn't look dated like the effects look really
2: good still i still think it's dated i just don't think it's as appalling as certain other movies all right mean girls moves on
1: now we get into the most chaotic final four.
2: Oh yeah we are at the final
0: four here i'll just start the debate next we got blade runner versus the spongebob SquarePants movie where where are we all feeling blade runner versus spongebob movie alden where do you stand
1: this is like the Alden round. This is a really hard one. This is harder than Terminator.
0: I can't believe Infinity Wars in the Final Four, but that's not what we're talking about right now.
2: That's your fault. That is your fault, exclusive. <laughs> I did it out of anger.
0: Uh, Sekula, what, uh, would you rather hang out with Deckard or SpongeBob? Easily, SpongeBob.
2: Rachel, <laughs>
0: no, that wasn't the question, Alden. You don't think Deckard would have, like, stories, though, of, like, his other missions? He wouldn't tell
2: you any. Yeah. He's not
1: exactly the conversationalist.
0: All right, better villain: Plankton or Roy Batty? Karen. <laughs> but uh, Sakula. While we while we have this time in between, um, you were a very late host into the the show's uh, inception. What was an episode you wish you were on?
1: Wait, I, I, one, one day we need to come back and do like another Marvel movies ranked.
0: Yeah, eventually that, a sequel to that will happen, including the shows.
2: Yeah, we'll have to include those. Star Wars video games. I love that episode. I mean, we knew the outcome from the beginning, but it was, it was interesting outside of that.
0: The fact that we had Lego Star Wars to complete Saga vs. Battlefront 2 was horrible.
2: That's true. Was that the final two?
0: No, that was the first
1: round. Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah, that's why we did the Lego episode. It was specifically because you were pissed.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's absolute bullshit. That seating doesn't make any fucking sense. That should be the final two. You're right. They shouldn't have
0: been on the same side of the conference.
1: Um, yeah, I guess it'd have to be that one or, um... Ah, oh shit, are every Spider-Man movie ranked? That was a
2: chaotic one. <laughs> now there's more as well, so... We can wait for even more.
1: I swear to God, if this continuity of Spider-Man gets, like, axed, I'm gonna be pissed. It probably will. I need it to not, because, like... It feel it
0: feels like the ending to it.
1: Yeah, but they they op- they left it with so many, like, possible threads and so many directions it could go, like... Well, that's just covering their tracks at this point.
0: Sekula, you're either gonna love or fucking hate Bullet Train.
1: I, I, you know, we've watched the trailer so many times in theaters that... I'm scared that I'm going to hate it because at first, when I first saw the trailer, I'm like, oh man, this this kind of looks good. This looks like a fun time. And then I see it over and over and I'm like, actually, this feels like kind of formulaic and like um, like it was made by a robot.
2: Uh, yeah, it was made by the guy who made Deadpool. Of course it's formulaic. I will say the
0: trailer does not give the movie justice. Okay. I mean, that's that's a good thing. I think Alden will like it. Not as much as 3,000 years in the making. I think that's Alden's film of the year.
2: Three thousand years of yeah, longing, see, he even knows or the something. Title. I might have the I might have the amount wrong, but
0: <laughs> I need I need Alden to see it so I know if it's
2: worth seeing or not. And Bullet Train's not doing great in Rotten Tomatoes, but it's doing okay on IMDb. Oh yeah, Bullet Train's getting good reviews. The reviews for uh, Three Thousand
0: Years of Longing are not great. Sorry about that. It's it's we've all voted for SpongeBob. Why do you guys do this to me? Do you want to defend Blade Runner real quick? (laughs) I feel like there's not much I can say about Blade Runner that hasn't been said already. Uh, I fucking love Blade Runner. A fantastic motion picture. I figured it would come down to SpongeBob SquarePants, the movie, topping Blade Runner. So that's all right. Up next, we've got Mean Girls versus Avengers Infinity War. All right. I'm betraying my entire philosophy of the show and voting Infinity War. What does that even mean? I have been the most anti-Infinity War for the past three years of this television show.
2: So why are you going to be anti-Mean Girls right now? You know it's a better movie. We are now syndicated, and I want Disney to buy us
1: out. Disney's not going to buy a podcast. Xbox, record that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Can I nominate Bullet Train?
0: (laughs) (laughs) The surprise. Pick Bullet Train in the finals. What a
2: final four. I'm on the side of Mean Girls. I feel like Nate's
1: also on the side of
0: Mean Girls. I'm gonna... I think he's frozen. I'm gonna fight for Infinity War.
1: You know what it is, though? I I don't think Mean Girls stands a chance against SpongeBob.
2: Infinity War definitely doesn't. Don't even try that.
1: Yeah, but it's a funnier debate. This is such... This whole bracket is nuts.
0: All right, Alden. Let's have a deal here. If you vote... If you vote Infinity War... Um... SpongeBob will win.
2: That doesn't make any sense. If it goes against Infinity War anyways, it's going to win. SpongeBob has a chance at losing to Mean Girls.
0: Yes, it does. Yeah, that's what I'm saying.
2: That's what he's saying.
0: I don't care. Well, now we have to binge all the Marine movies together, Alden. You're
2: locked in for that. Well, not if I vote for Infinity War. (laughs) No, no, no. I never said that. No, but I did. That's my offer. <laughs> no, nope, no, you're stuck with the you're stuck <laughs> with
0: the marine <laughs> the marine franchise. We're watching it. Jesus fucking Christ! All right, Alden went to get a shirt. What? Oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs>
1: He'll never wear it in public.
0: Damn, we would have had this done at like three and a half hours if my internet
1: didn't kill itself. You said it was gonna be four hours. <laughs> I didn't mean it. <laughs> You can't say stuff like that.
0: I think I have to go with Mean Girls here. I just think it's a tighter script. It's funny. It might be ripping off a movie that I like more, but Infinity War is important only because it's culturally significant. I don't think I'm going to remember or want to rewatch this movie in 20 years. I think I have fond memories of Mean Girls and will want to revisit those fond memories. I don't know if I have fond memories of Infinity War and will want to rewatch it down the line in life. I feel like it's the definition of a movie that is popular for that sliver of time where it came out and has no lasting impact. Especially since we're getting a whole other saga with the MCU. Why is there two Avengers movies coming out in the same year? That's way more confusing than what's going on in anything in the Infinity Saga. Did you get it, Alden? There it is! Ah! (laughs) I love that it says 04. Oh
2: my god. I can't
0: wait to see Alden wear that shirt in New York. My
2: grandparents still have that sticker on a car. Was it in your mailbox? No, it was on my front porch. Nate's doing Mean Girls. I am doing Mean Girls.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Do you guys want to read my burn book or not?
1: I kind of do. I'm going to put the vote to
0: Infinity War because I think... The debate against SpongeBob would be funnier.
2: There's not going to be a debate. You'll see. Maybe.
1: But also Mean Girls against SpongeBob is equally fucking
2: unhinged. And it would be a better debate because it's actually a debate. So the
0: guest in the final four was fucking Alex Adam <laughs> who had the SpongeBob movie. Sydney. Oh shit. Miss New York and Perkin formerly.
1: I'm sorry Josh, I'm I'm uh, I'm betraying you. Mean Girls. Damn. All right. That's still funny.
0: We've got SpongeBob SquarePants the movie versus Mean Girls for the best movie our guests like the most. All right. Nobody interrupt him. Nate, give me your fucking monologue on why I should vote Mean Girls right now. Give me your Academy Award winning speech on Mean Girls right now. Oh, I was going to say SpongeBob.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> OK. Um. All right. <clears throat> I think that Mean Girls is a time capsule of early 2000s culture, but also the uh, implications of, of bullying from a female perspective. I think there's a lot of movies and a lot of characters in movies that are, um, you know, maybe the more violent or outwardly vicious uh, antagonists in, in bullies in the male end of the spectrum. But I think what Mean Girls does really interestingly Uh, is it focuses on what bullying looks like with female characters in a high school setting and how it's a lot more of a passive aggression and it's a lot more of saying shit behind people's back and I think Mean Girls gets that that paranoia and gets that uh, setting perfectly. Uh, I also think it's hilarious that Lindsay Lohan's character came back from studying, uh, studying in Africa and they use a tribal drumbeat uh, <laughs> in her, her greatest moments. It's really sus and kind of funny. I think it gets uh, early 2000s fashion down to a T as well. I think it's one of those movies that is a time capsule of a culture that, you know, for us was like when we were like little kids. But you go back and you watch this movie and you're like... Oh, shit, I remember, like, for me, it's like, I remember my older sister, like, wearing outfits like that. Or I remember, like, low-rise jeans, and I remember these pop songs on the radio. And It's a, it's a very comfortable movie. I feel like it's one that you could throw on at any time. You could walk in in the middle of it. Mean Girls is a very uh, approachable film, and it's, uh, it's timeless, I think, to some extent. I, I don't think that this movie's dated by anything besides its terrible sequel, and uh, it's a great watch. What do you think of the Broadway play? It's fine. There's a Broadway play? There's a Broadway musical named Mean Girls as well. Um, Same people behind the movie produced the Broadway musical, so I think it has its heart in the right place a lot. There's a couple of good songs, but again, I think Heather's is better, and I think the Heather's musical is better as well, believe it or not. There's an off-Broadway musical of that that never made it to Broadway because who is going to greenlight a movie about a school... Or a play, rather. Who's going to greenlight a musical about a school shooting and a terrorist attack at a high school? It's not something that's going to happen, but... Um, I think that some of the uh, implications and satirical points within Heathers translates to Mean Girls very, very well, both as a musical and both as a film. So, SpongeBob. (laughs) I think SpongeBob's the better comedy, yes.
2: It's been so long since I've seen Mean Girls. You should have been here three weeks ago.
0: I watched Legally Blonde for the first time.
2: That was also recently, maybe four weeks ago?
0: No, it was much longer than that. Love me some Luke Wilson. Luckily for you, Josh, I can tell you the exact date. (laughs) It was in May, I think.
1: Mean Girls serves as a time capsule, but SpongeBob is timeless.
0: Good point, good point.
1: Sure. You could
0: show SpongeBob to literally anybody. Is there ever a time where you're not in the mood to watch the SpongeBob
1: SquarePants movie? Um... See, like, there's times where I'm like, I don't really feel like watching Mean Girls. I can't say that about SpongeBob. I think I could have, like, just
0: gotten clipped by a car and having the worst day of my life where <laughs> i'm bleeding eternally but i don't have enough money to go to the doctors because i can't afford health care in this cursed late capitalist state that we live in and i could c- still come home and be like yeah but spongebob is that your last movie you'll
2: watch <laughs> i don't think i want to watch mean girls where she literally gets hit by a bus exactly that's what i'm saying
0: <laughs> uh you don't need a license to drive a cheeseburger sandwich you idiot A burger is not a sandwich.
2: Yes, it is. It's between two slices of bread. No,
0: no, no. We're not, no, we're not having this debate right now.
2: It's a, it's a sandwich.
0: How is a burger not a sandwich? Because it is circular. Yeah, what are you talking about? You're a fucking lunatic. No. No. Yeah, what about a sandwich on a brioche bun? Like, a ham and cheese on brioche. That's circular. I don't... know. A bagel? Is a bagel- is a bacon, egg, and cheese on bagel, not a sandwich? A bagel is a bagel. You don't call a bagel a sandwich.
2: Yes, you do. You call it a breakfast sandwich. No, you say a bagel. English muffin. What is that?
0: Alden, when you move to New York, I am going to drive two hours out there just to fucking choke you.
1: (laughs) I just can't believe you would say a burger isn't a fucking sandwich. That's crazy. So, SpongeBob. Oh, my God. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to
0: Duel of the Takes. Not only today, but the last 99 episodes, including this one. It's been a journey. It's been a lot of fun. The real duel of the takes was the friends we made along the way. Thank you to every guest that's ever appeared on this show. Um, Not only for coming on your episodes, but nominating a movie for us to debate about. And congratulations, Miss Sydney Park. Soon to be Mrs. Sydney, whatever Jeff's last name is. Congratulations. (laughs) Yeah, SpongeBob SquarePants the movie is apparently the greatest movie any of our guests have ever seen. I mean... Yeah, it is. It's not a wrong. It's not wrong. So Josh, when do you think Duel of the Take Season Four is gonna happen? I don't know why it went to Josh. Alden, I'm gonna t- t- tag you in.
2: What? Alden wouldn't be stopping. <laughs> well, hold on. I proposed the hiatus. When is
0: Episode Two of Alden Mason News? We're all waiting for it.
2: Oh yeah. Um, soon. Not that soon though.
0: I need your review of Boulder Train.
2: Yeah, you can get that though. That'll
0: be separate. All right. Well, for the last time for a while. This has been Duel of the Ticks. Alden Mason News. Hmm. Forever? (laughs) Forever.